mentally knowing that like a medal is slipping away from you and you literally can't move your legs any faster it's like the worst thing in the world OTB AM live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB sports app OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar Absolutely massive news from the world of sport yesterday as a crumbling empire suddenly reversed course and put themselves on the path to greatness. That's right, Kevin McStay has been uh, named the manager of the male footballers. We're going to spend the next two and a half hours talking about it. No, we will definitely talk about Kevin McStay, but actually we're talking about Manchester United today. And so all of a sudden, like um, mushrooms covered in shit growing overnight, I'm surrounded by Manchester United fans in the studio. How did that happen, folks? Oh, good morning to you all. Hello, hello, hello. Shane Hannan, good morning to you. Good morning, Jeff. Feeling fresh? Colin Bowie, what's the crack? Good morning, sir. Good morning, uh, Shane. What a bust. Sancho's what a bust. bust Jaden Sancho is. Up to now, Jaden Sancho has been a bust. Wow, I mean, can you think of a more composed finish? It was like a game of Astro. He took, just st- took he 10 did, seconds. He I, just I stopped as the well, ball. Kind of, but yeah, Sancho was a bust was my first line as he well. He just stopped the ball in the middle of the penalty area against Liverpool. Yeah. The whole world watching. And it was like a game of Astro at 10 to the hour when the next crowd is waiting to come on and everybody else has given up playing. But Virgil van Dijk gave up on it because he knew that Jaden Sancho is not a bust. But what a great night for football. Uh, apart from that, I mean, <laughs> I, d- I did immediately as soon as he scored text column because I knew that I needed to get in there first. Of course, yeah. Which yeah, completely yeah. removed any of the. That's why he's doing this now. Actually, uh, when Sancho scored, I was like, where's my phone? But it was charging in the other oversight of the room because I don't have my phone on me when I watch games. You don't? You know, for that reason, so I can actually concentrate on the football because otherwise you find yourself going on Twitter and you're not watching the game. Fair, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. It wouldn't but, be like United fans like ourselves to get carried away here at all, would it? I mean, we've just ah, get carried away. Come on, we, we today well. you're football is yeah, to yeah. get carried away. Let's now. do it. But it's so, it's so funny how quickly football changes I in know. a week. Like last week, it was yeah. Lissandro Martinez. His yeah. career was in in the doldrums, taken off at halftime, and then he's the he's the hero of the hour. He's the new Gabriel Heinz, I think, in that Manchester team. How ruthless is Ten Hag? Hooks uh, Anthony Lang at halftime. Tactical substitution. Lang hits the post, sets up Sancho's goal. Gone. I, I remember listening to Miguel Delaney last week with Joe, and he was talking about the fact that Conte and Tuchel have this aura in the in the you know in the press conference room when they walk in. Ten Hag hasn't had that just yet, but to see him last night, to go from sitting in the dugouts, a la Ranić and Solskjaer, to standing and running up and down the touchline, celebrating the goals with a little bit of oomph as well, um, a little bit more domineering in the in the post match interviews, I thought as well with with Keane and Cara and the lads. So sure, he's feeling he's feeling himself. I do think we can go to uh, Manchester Airports. Owen Sheehan, good morning to you. Good morning. I think uh, 40 seconds is what I have it down as, as the period of time that I was actually happy for Manchester United. And my camera here is like trained on Colin Buig and he is just beaming from ear to ear. It is Cheshire cat-like. It's almost like, what is it, an entourage when Ari Gold shows up with the, the paintball gun and shoots all his enemies in the office. I was expecting Colin to show up at one this morning and I'm not surprised at that. Uh, text was sent to Jer, uh, but good, good stuff in getting out in front of it, Jer. Oh, yeah. And, uh, apparently, you were supposed to see the future with regards to it. it's Jaden Sancho. Is that, is, is that where we're at when, we call, when it comes to analysing the take around Jaden Sancho, that we were actually predicting the future, about how good he will be in times that we had not seen yet? I agree, Owen. Thank you for uh, coming right into my rescue and defence. What was, what was Old Trafford like, and um, why are you sitting beside the only loud baby in Manchester Airport? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, like it was, it was great. It was absolutely fantastic. Now, to be fair, I actually missed the Jaden Sancho goal. Uh, I, I didn't get to see it in the flesh. All I got to hear was the 
cacophony of noise from outside the stadium because we were actually locked out. I think they were quite worried of a kind of storming of Old Trafford again last night that they ended up closing down all the shutters. So if you weren't in the stadium before quarter to eight last night, you weren't getting in, certainly from a media perspective. So I was obviously covering all the fan stuff. I walked through the protest actually all the way to uh, Old Trafford. And by the time I got to, to the staircase to try and take my seat uh, at about 10 to 8, it was like, no, sorry, you're not getting in. And I was like, what's going on here? And they were like, we actually don't know. And we don't know if you'll be able to get in. Um, but eventually they get in for the second goal. And uh, that was pretty special as well. And I think uh, regardless of who you support, see Marcus Rashford back in the score sheet is a, is a pretty positive story. Yeah, even though he looked offside, even when the VAR came through, I was like, oh, that's definitely offside. And they're like, oh, they've managed to mm. somehow grandfather this in. I mean, look, you know, that's what happens when you're the biggest club in the world and you're down in your luck, I suppose. Uh, a bit like uh, that Icelandic team against Shelburne the other night. Uh, <laughs> and in terms of the great cathedrals of world sport, everybody always complains about the state of Old Trafford and it's such a shithole these days. But, I mean, it's still amazing when you go there, right? Oh, absolutely unbelievable. And I think probably the lack of the big screen actually helps in that regard. I'm, I'm not sure why, but it just kind of like being there and not, and I guess the, the kind of lack, the, the sense of mystery around some of the decisions, I guess, and the, the, the fact that that kind of like feeds into the siege mentality that the United fans have, where if there's a decision made and they think it's against their team and they've been screwed over, they can absolutely continue that sense of injustice because they won't be able to see it on the big screen. They won't be able to be corrected. And I think that's one little small thing that helps. It's tight. It probably needs upgrading, but it's a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, theatre to, to pardon the pun like the thing is like if you are late everybody's raging with you like I caused a, a serious scene trying to get into the press box last night because I was so late and there was a man beside me who was not happy whatsoever like, I got shouted at on my first time in the press box in Old Trafford last night so uh, but other than that just a f- phenomenal phenomenal stadium and um, yeah like I, I think it's, it's hard not to come away from it last night thinking god they are definitely back but at the same time, there's been so many moments over the past few seasons where they have managed to uh, take Liverpool down or beat Manchester City. And we know that that doesn't come with a level of consistency. But maybe Ten Hag is that guy who can, who can finally bring that. My uh, first experience in the Old Trafford press box was a little bit different to Owens. Uh, I chose this exact fixture last season when United, of course, lost 5-0. So I picked a good one as a, a so-called Manchester United fan. But um, Owen, you're, like, the, the area there, the press box, is quite close to, to the away fans. Like, is the, Were the Avram Glant, uh, Avram Grant um, face masks on show last night with the chance uh, fairly decent from the Liverpool section in that end? Uh, <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Like, but the best chance of the night was definitely uh, you're just a shit Casemiro when uh, Klopp made a substitution uh, for Henderson coming off for Fabinho. Mm-hmm. And I tweeted it uh, in regards to Fabinho coming off. And I think Andy Mitten tweeted it in regards to uh, to, to Henderson coming off, and I, I, sorry, and I tweeted it regarding Fabinho. So, and then somebody tweeted me being like, "Which one is it? Is it a chant around Henderson or is it a chant around Fabinho?" And I presume it was Fabinho, given the the whole uh, Brazilian element of it. But that was that was definitely the best chant. With, with regards to Liverpool fans, like I think that uh, the United uh, the supporters I was chatting to afterwards, and we'll bring you that video tomorrow morning uh, when it comes to the United fans. Uh, they were pretty much sticking to boot and being like, "Yeah, they were very quiet all night." Uh, to be fair, I thought that uh, the, the Salah goal really gave them a kick and. I thought there was going to be a bit more of a nervous energy around Old Trafford at that point, but it never really felt like it. And I never really felt like Liverpool were actually going to equalise after that, which is a serious worry, you'd have thought, for Jurgen Klopp. And is, is that actually potentially going to be the bigger, bigger story as the season progresses? Like, is, is, this, is what we're seeing from Liverpool over the first three games actually a serious red flag for what's about to come this season? 
what do you think having watched them last night like cause they they look lifeless they look lacking energy they look like they were lacking direction they couldn't get Salah in the game at all I mean he scores and it's it's completely off scraps as opposed to something where there's been a pattern of play they've found a weakness they've given him the ball again and again and the third time he's tried something it's come off it was not that at all so what what were they like in person yeah, not great at all. And as I said, just no sense that they were actually ever going to score. Like Manchester United, like thoroughly the better team last night. Now, the one thing I would say is that Darwin Nunez has picked a very bad time to get suspended. Like that would have been a totally different element to the game last night. Obviously, like, I mean, poor like poor Alessandro uh, Martinez, like and the the constant talk around him being five foot nine. Like that would have been even more blown up around uh, this game had he been up against whatever Darwin Nunez is, 6'2", 6'3", uh, before last night. And no doubt Liverpool would have targeted that. So for Roberto Firmino to be in his place, I think that was a, a huge setback for Liverpool going into uh, last night. And I think that's uh, something that probably held them back a little bit because it feels sometimes like they're playing with one less attacker. And I think Manchester United were delighted to see that. They were delighted to see Firmino on the pitch as it turned out even though I, I'm sure I think somebody on the show yesterday morning was saying that maybe Firmino would have started anyway it was maybe a game for him in hindsight though I think that's clearly just not the case he was actually a bit of a drawback to Liverpool and how they attacked I talk like if we're looking for like small crumbs of positivity Tuck Harvalio had a, had, a, had a big impact on the game when he came on I don't think Harvey Elliott was as bad as, as maybe some people would suggest after the game either so those two players in particular because I hadn't seen him play in the flesh before I thought they actually did alright I think Phil was saying outside that he thought that uh, Harvey Elliott was their best player. So uh, the the spectrum of opinion about that and I guess like a Rorschach test, you you see what you want to see. Um, Okay, and then from Manchester United's perspective, how much of an attacking plan did it look like they had in person as well? What was the movement like? Because that was one of the things, the 14 kilometres that they didn't run and then were forced to run on Sunday training. What What were they actually like? Yeah, like it, it's definitely kind of like frustrating watching someone like Anthony Martial, who obviously is the, the first substitution off the bench, which felt pointed that he comes on before Cristiano Ronaldo, just how close to offside he constantly is. And it constantly feels like he, he lives there. It, it feels that if he can address that element of his game, then he's going to have a big part to play for Ten Hag this season in big games, because it does feel that on the counter-attack, there's not many players better than him because he can get the ball beyond the, the last defender and then also the way he can pick a pass as well as outstanding. So I think they were pretty much content to, to, to know that Liverpool would have a lot of possession and that they would know that they would be, be able to counter pretty quickly. And um, after that point, then they'd, they'd be able to uh, like kill him on the counter-attack, which is probably the plan and something that they brought to the table against uh, some of the other top teams. Like I, I still think that there's, there's a lot to be found out about Manchester United. Like, what happens when they've got 60% of the ball again? Because that was the case against Brentford. They had the lion's share of possession. I think they actually had more attempts than Brentford on the day, if I'm not mistaken. So those two statistics, when they're in Manchester United's favour, as you'd expect they would be in the majority of games at Old Trafford, how will they then play? So I think last night was a brilliant confidence boost for them. But let's just see how things develop when they're expected to win games. Which players impressed you in person? Uh, Malasia and Martinez... Uh, in particular, the, the two new boys. I thought Varane was very composed. Like I don't think Harry Maguire is getting back in that team, and like it, it was mostly the other two. And I think that was like a massive boon for Eric Ten Hag because we've been constantly told over the last few weeks that uh, you know he's been hung out to dry a little bit in the transfer market, where they don't have a proper recruitment policy, and therefore he is forced to sign forced to sign players like Martinez and um, Malasia. And they were excellent last night. Just the level of aggression 
from those players and Dallow as well. I know I've just literally name-checked the back four. So I guess that's it, the back four and the level of aggression that they brought, brought to their one-on-one battles was seriously impressive because you would have to say before the game, you would have given Liverpool the edge, even allowing for Firmino, you would have given Liverpool the edge in every single one of those attackers versus defenders, one-to-ones. And as it turned out, Manchester United had a clean sweep in that department. McTominay was pretty good. Was he not? Yeah, uh, everybody's yeah. like, what? was he not? Was he not pretty good? Yeah, it was a good, good game, yeah. Sorry, yeah, it was, it was, it was I mean, that three ball in the first half was a sensational. Yeah, but what, yeah, that, it was. I, I saw that back. Uh, I thought Fred actually was okay when he came on as well, playing a few good tackles. And uh, are we saying that Bruno Fernandes is now back as well? well once once Cristiano's we, gone, he's like... Yeah, uh, different yeah, man. It's different the man. reverse Samson. I know, and like, if you're just to concentrate then and say one specific area maybe up front, did anybody else stand out for you? Anybody that's very good in person? No. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, he, he looks the part, but the fans love him. And I mean, like, he, I mean, if you're, if you're who, leading, who's that? Who? Uh, I think it's uh, Mr. J. Sancho. Oh. Jaden S. Yeah. Well. Yeah, good player. Good I don't stuff. notice, yeah. Expecting big things. Cool. Underrated, I'd say. <laughs> the new Jesse Lingard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, they, God, they absolutely love him. And I think the fact that he managed to leave a Liverpool player on his arse as well. Uh, before he puts the ball to and back cause the back of the between two players as well. <laughs> oh, between yeah, well, yeah. ball. That's effective play, isn't it? But that's what could, it's the intensity from the very outset. Like you, you knew straight away when Martinez put the big hit on Salah, and there was a few giggles uh, from Salah. Like United were just yeah. up for it, and then uh, you'd worry because when Ronaldo was on that team, when Ronaldo came off the bench, he didn't make any runs, he didn't move. Hardly surprising, but uh, and Harry Maguire as well. Like he's he's an FA Cup centre half. He's a backup centre half for United now this season. Although he's got a World Cup with England to look forward to. Does so he? Does he have a World Cup with well, England to look forward to? He's he's out of that team too. I think. What are the what, what, playing for United? He's not playing for England. The though. transfer window closes Thursday week. What are the odds Maguire moves? I think the Chelsea rumours were just his agent probably stoking the fire trying to get United to to get him back in the team, but. I mean, he's I, not getting back in that. I that think lineup. Owen witnessed the start of a new era last night. I think they have a new left back and a new centre half starting. I think Maguire and Shaw are in trouble. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah. Is how do you go back Shaw. to them? How do you possibly go back to them after that performance? Mm. Like, the thing is, uh, I mean, Martin is, is not 6 or 3. He's still 5 at 9. I mean, apparently, this is going to be something that does, is going to catch him out. And Maguire is taller than Martin is, therefore, a better Premier League centre back, <laughs> if, if we're to be, believe some of the things that we hear. Like, I mean, it, it would seem a little bit drastic if, if, it was his, if his career was going to be over now. Just, be, just sheer volume of numbers at the back. An FA Cup defender, I think, is a good shout. Just one, one other kind of observation on Ten Hag. And Shane, you kind of touched on it there earlier on is that like he, 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 you kind of maybe pointed to the fact that he felt like more of a dugout manager in the first two games maybe his tail is between his legs a little bit he still is very much a dugout manager when Manchester United are winning like the technical area last night it's usually in, in, in modern football when you're there it, it, you, you can just watch the two guys are almost like um, two Jedi masters going head to head without the lightsabers almost but last night it's just Jurgen Klopp going mad in his technical area and it's like where's Ten Hag and he's sitting in the dugout quite a bit. I'm sure, to be fair, you, you picked it up on TV as well, but uh, I just constantly picture him like stroking his goatee while sitting in uh, the dugout. And uh, he certainly wasn't uh, like prancing around his technical area as much as his opposite number last night. He's, he's, uh, he's a more thoughtful... He, he, I think that's just a thoughtful ten hack that we saw in the first two games, and that's not going to change whether they're winning or losing. Are we saying there's just a hangover with Liverpool, that their recruitment hasn't been enough to... Make up for the seven or eight first choice players. I mean, is there four first choice players really who are injured? 
I, I don't know, to be honest. I think that there's something more there. Like, Alison looked a little bit shaky last night, didn't he? Mm. Like, there, was, there was a couple of moments here and there. Like, I'm sure maybe that just comes from the fact that you don't have your full first-choice midfield available. You've got less of a control in the match, and that just seeps into the rest of the team. Like, there is still the fact that they were unlucky. Um, unlucky is maybe a bit strong, but you, you could maybe put... If you're looking at a glass half full, you could say they were unlucky against Crystal Palace. And they were the better team that day, and they, they should have come away with three points. Um, so they've had, they haven't had the rubber of green in that regard. But they were comfortably second best last night, I thought, which is a, a real worry in the space of 12 months. They've gone from being so much better than Manchester United, where scoring five goals, but possibly even flattered Manchester United on, on the day in terms of what they conceded. So, yeah, it's a big drop off from that performance last year. And it's, it's hard to know quite what's going on because I don't think the lack of midfield options alone explains it. OK, Owen, stay with us. It's uh, 7.46 this morning. We might just um, dim the sound of the airport for a second. This is OT. And we're live each morning with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Owen in Manchester all the way up to 10 past 8. Daniel Harris going to join us at 10 past 8. We're bringing the sports pages at 8.35. More reflection from the Liverpool side of things with Gareth Roberts at around about 8.50. Neve Briggs is going to join us from Japan where Ireland had a massive win at the weekend uh, at 10 past 9. And then you're going to hear from Emma Brennan about the boxing and the Bernard Dunn story which broke yesterday where it looks like he's heading over to be the high performance director for the Indian boxing uh, team in advance of the Olympic Games in Paris next year. At 7.47, you can roll your comments in uh, on youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Or of course, you can tweet the show at off the ball. How excited are you now? <laughs> I, like, I, I don't want to get fully carried away, but I, but I think not? The, the, the attitude shift, because I've seen so much crap over the last two years. This feels years. a little bit different, right? It does. Like, Ronaldo, I was always... And I spoke about this briefly outside before we started. I was always in the Ronaldo win camp because I thought the goals he brought, like I was in Old Trafford for the Atlanta game last year, for the Villarreal game last year, where he literally pulled United out of the ashes. Um, but looking at it last night, those players are only going to excel when Ronaldo was not in the team. That's like a toxic relationship where you've got all these great moments and, you know, the good times are really good. Yeah, and then that's, bias. That's, yeah. What, that's what you remember. But actually, you don't remember all the fights and the niggling no. and the undermining and the gaslighting and the yeah. nagging you just you, f- you forget it well it's it's the whole Ronaldo on Instagram talk like inter- interacting with, with random uh, fan banter pages where he's like I'm going to speak in two weeks and Bruno f- was asked about it last night after the game and he said he knows what Ronaldo is going to say whether he's going to uh, stay or leave uh, but that he's not going to reveal what what it is he's going to say like why is he waiting two weeks that is that is toxic Bruno should have just spat it out yeah just say it get it over like, with because but, in two weeks he won't be at the club yeah that's what he means I'd imagine so yeah I, it looks like he's going to go out the door now like last I night seemed know. like it's a take him. I, I cancel the contract I would cancel the yeah. contract at this stage yeah. it's well, who's going to take like, him is the issue um, yeah you know what I noticed uh, well, on TV anyway maybe Owen is a different interpretation of it but I noticed a quite muted reaction when he came on yeah when Ronaldo came on Owen what was what, like in the stadium well, uh, to, uh, to be honest, so he's obviously one of a triple substitution. And uh, I don't know why this came into my head. I was like, why isn't he the last sub that they announced? You know, the mm, grand finale. Like, yeah. The middle, yeah. Yeah, it's like three, two, one. And I was like, number seven, Ronaldo. They didn't even, it's obviously something they don't ever do at, at Old Trafford. They didn't name his, say, Cristiano Ronaldo. You know, like I would have said, Cristiano Ronaldo. They I do when he scores. They say Cristiano. I noticed that yeah. as well on TV. I, I was surprised they didn't say the fault. It was like it was uh, Alan Keegan is the voice, uh, the stadium PA guy in, in, mm. in Old Trafford. And I, th- I, f- I actually thought that was a bit, w- bit strange last night that he didn't Well, say yeah, fault. it's rare that he comes on as a substitute. But in his debut against Bolton in 2003, he was introduced as Ronaldo. Because he very, very originally went by Ronaldo. Yeah. And then it became Cristiano. But that's the first time I've heard it since. But how many times has Ronaldo come on as a sub at Old Trafford? True. But I noticed immediate reaction. He's kind of become like. Um, like a group of friends and they've been friends since they were childhood 
but this guy doesn't really suit the group of friends anymore and they're like well he's our friend for life now so we can't get rid of him and he kind of has that vibe He's stenching out the joint, that's what I'm trying to say. But I do love him for what he's done for the club. Well, that was the, that was the pre-match, wasn't it? Where he's like coming over and he's hugging Gary Neville and he's hugging Keane and Keane's giving him a bit of like, come on, come on, what are you doing? Uh, that was all. You said you sat and watched the whole coverage. Yeah, I, like from 6.30 yesterday evening to to 11pm after the match. Like it was just, it was just box office. Like you had storms you landed in after the game yeah. as well. But I missed all like, that, so I went to bed straight away. The, so. Like Keane, for me, I, like... Casemiro I know this guy are playing up to United fans loving this kind of thing but Casemiro walks straight over to Roy Keane shakes his hand and lovely little hug in a moment the passing of the mantle from the, well, that, the legend I, like that's that's pretty interesting isn't it I like, mean we, yeah. we, we obviously assume because Roy Keane is like the biggest sports person in Irish history because of everything that happened that like uh, I don't know but the five times Champions League winner from Brazil straight over to him it's mad isn't it yeah, I thought yeah. that was interesting he's, like, a, he's a student of the game Casemiro similar he, positions <laughs> you know I'm, I'm serious um, he goes on Y Scout uh, a lot and in his oh, yeah. spare time watches games to analyse other players and compares his stats against others right. so I have no doubt that Casemiro would look on YouTube like best holding midfielders best midfielders of all time enter sits back skip ad yeah. it's going to be good and Roy King comes up there's no ads on his version I'd say what's Ronaldo's yeah. game what's hmm? Ronaldo's game going over to the Sky Sports like what's what like I mean That's oh, sorry, I, yeah, I, yeah. I accidentally misplaced the pass there. What's 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 he thinking? What's going through his head? What's, well, Dave what's he Jones getting said, at there? Dave Jones said always centre stage, didn't he? Wasn't that was uh was that his little kind of explanation for it all? I love yeah, the way possibly. Roy I love the way Roy Keane's like Oh, you're not paying any attention to me? Oh, hang on, I'm not going to pay any attention to you now for a minute. Sorry. Sorry, Dave. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's Cristiano. That was great. Adrian I love that Bar- line. Adrian Barry pointed in last night into our work group that, um, you know, that the snub of Carragher was interesting in itself and that it could have, Rio Ferdinand saying in his YouTube post-game last night as well, that it could well have been the fact that, you know, Carragher's been quite outspoken that Ronaldo has been the problem at United, that he has been a bit toxic, whereas Keane and, and Neville have kind of held back from, from maybe going that far. But that was interesting. Maybe he's just snubbing the Liverpool man in front of all the, the Old Trafford faithful. But uh, yeah, it was probably an interesting one as well. But the sky coverage, it, it, even just to see Cara and Neville, or Cara and, uh, yeah, Cara and Neville in the centre circle before the game, literally almost warming up with the players. Yeah. They're like, they couldn't be any closer. And they started walking even closer to the United, uh, to the United centre circle. Um, and then Keane slagging Klopp as well, saying, "Oh, you were a bit yeah. sloppy." <clears throat> yeah, I mean, and then after, they, like, I, I, I didn't see, but I, I wouldn't be uh, surprised to learn there was a callback from Keane about the sloppiness afterwards because they were pretty 100%. sloppy. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Liverpool were dreadful last night, like straight from the off. And, and I actually it noticed that, I'd, like, straight after the first goal, when you see Van Dijk and, and Milner kind of going at it, it's. It's not really a big deal because you know teammates have arguments when the goals make it seated, but you don't really see it from this Liverpool team. You don't see those moments, and, and to see that was a little bit of a maybe not necessarily a chink in the armor, but it was certainly. A I think it's important. I do think it's important. I think I so I I, I get that Van Dijk is in the wrong position and doesn't uh, doesn't address the situation at all, but like. I am literally Milner's biggest fan on this program, and uh, for years I've been saying like he's one of England's greatest professionals. And but that was horrific. He, he like he, I actually think he puts Alisson off. He buys the Sancho dummy so badly that there's no recovery from that. And then to turn around and go, oh, it's actually your fault. It's like, well, you just put your goalkeeper off. Yeah, he did. He did With buy Bruno it. saying, "Here's this corridor here. Look, just sweep the ball down the corridor. All you got to do, come on, come on, Jaden, hurry it up, come on." But I did think he Van still Dijk, nearly screwed it up. I thought Van Dijk. Uh, was what what worse. part did he nearly screw up? 
Anyway. <laughs> I, I actually thought Van Dijk's reaction to that was, was worse than Milner's I, I understood what Milner was thinking he was like right this is going to be a straight off shot from Sancho yeah. dive in try and block it he looks like a fool obviously in the end up. but, but I think he, Van Dijk should have made himself bigger as the lad said afterwards on Sky he almost made himself as small as possible yeah, Van yeah, Dijk, yeah. Well, which was just mad but by, by, by diving in Milner like made his mind up well and the keepers yeah, do you know? Like, there's a. I, I just think I don't know. And look, maybe Allison's confidence is a bit low, and or something's something's gone wrong with the centre back. Something's gone wrong with the midfield, and it's this kind of uh, fairly sticky situation. They, they do look light. They did look light. And I, I thought at half time I was quite confident that United were going to win the game because they just. I didn't see a threat from Liverpool. Mm. Carvalho was good when he came on. Here's one for you, Ger. Who's going to finish higher in the table, Manchester United or Liverpool? Uh, Liverpool going to finish higher in the table over the course of the season. Newcastle's still going to finish oh. ahead of Manchester United. <laughs> What's Manchester Airport like going? <laughs> it's nice, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's still the, the, the sort of the sort of zombies of the night before, kind of wandering towards their gates. Flights to to Dublin and to Cork out of here today. So good contingent, a plane full of Colin Buicks flying over yesterday morning. Cork uh, accents talking about uh, Manchester United. <laughs> I was actually uh, I was actually sitting beside uh, Jamie Wall on the the flight oh, over, yeah. and to be fair. Um, his uh, his entire opinion on Manchester United was bleak because of Man- because of Harry Maguire. So um, I'd say he's particularly pleased that they got that decision right and literally just walk, uh, going past me right now as well. And uh, they got that decision right last night as uh, as they dropped him. So um, yeah, that that worked out pretty well. I mean, like that, that that's what yesterday comes down to is like the big decisions for Ten Hag, and it's like a number of significant small uh, number of significant wins for Ten Hag last night I think with regards to the selection with regards to some of the players that stood up for him and most importantly the fact that Ronaldo and Maguire had nothing to do with it really <laughs> I nothing think, to do with the win I think that's central right because the, the rumours were coming out that the players believed that they should play a different style of play and it was back to the or the players are in charge and Solskjaer is just there as some kind of bauble on the front to take the blame and take the money and do the press conferences but like Ten Hag is not the same so if the players are like oh we don't want to do this like okay grand off you go don't play because they actually it looked like they were doing what they were supposed to do last night even Bruno's running seemed like less headless than it has in the past yeah like it still goes back to let's just see how this plays out over the, the next few weeks when it's like the, the cut and thrust of like three afternoon games either in Old Trafford or away yeah. from home like uh, like to be fair, like I mean, it's, it's obviously this is obviously something you would say after the game if you're a fan who like protested yesterday. But like they were making the point that there was like such an energy in the stadium after what happened outside the stadium beforehand, and it just felt like a momentous occasion. That there was no way that they weren't going to start well yesterday. There was no way that they yeah. couldn't have the kick uh, that that they required, and like that that was the central tenet of what went wrong against Brentford. Really, is that like Ten Hag wouldn't have taken them out for a training session the next day if he felt they had worked hard enough. If yeah. he felt that there was enough. Uh, of, the, of those intangibles like like Hart and all that uh, last Saturday week, so they had to refine that yesterday. And a game at Old Trafford against Liverpool, perversely, is an easy way to find that, and it's an easy time to find that. So I'm I'm just interested in how this develops when things settle down and uh, they they kind of come back to sort of a, a week in week out routine nature of being Manchester United players. A big win for the Glazers, of course, as well. You know, like uh, that team that they've invested so much money in, uh, and uh, they've, then Casemiro comes and he's like the crowd and these constant shots him, oh, and they're joking oh, how am I going to get in the team and it's like it's all coming up it's all coming up Glazers that wasn't the case pre-match you were, as you said you walked through the protests yeah so uh, there was uh, a significant protest to be fair I'm not, I'm not sure the exact numbers that they put on it yesterday I'm really bad at like estimating numbers but there was at least like uh, 150,000 I'm only joking uh, there was like uh, so it started at like the, the toll gate uh, pub um, about 15 minutes from Old Trafford kind of congregated there from about 
uh, five o'clock, half five, and then the, the crowds then left there at seven o'clock before getting to the Trinity statue at half past seven. And to be fair, it did take over the entirety of, of Talbot Road, which is like for people who haven't been to Old Trafford, like the, the, the big wide road with like two lanes each and completely taken over and then onto to Busby Way after that as well. This was a huge congregation. Like obviously I wasn't there in, in 2021. I don't think there have been too many protests of this scale outside Old Trafford. It was really interesting being in the middle of it all because I felt standing outside the toll gate and maybe in and around the pub that even like you're walking around by the tripod, you're walking around with a big red mic flag. It's you're, you're pretty conspicuous. And there was definitely kind of like an edginess around there. People like really didn't want to, to say much and obviously totally fair enough, but there was just a sense of edginess. Whereas when the, the whole thing started and you're walking through the, the whole protest, chatting to people at the front, at the middle, at the back, everybody's so friendly everybody's just just wants uh, what's best for for the club and once it got going it was it was absolutely brilliant no sign of of trouble whatsoever and uh, i guess there was just a situation where there was um a, a thousand people or so uh, outside the stadium i'd say as the game actually kicked off so there was a huge police presence there just to try and hold them back because they were i think quite conscious of what happened in april of of last year and they didn't want that to, to reoccur and then as we said earlier on that that obviously had a knock-on impact on on people trying to get into the game late. Well, let's have a look at the video now. It's, it's all behind one cause, which is getting away the Glazers. That's all the causes today. There's people here that are here for fan ownership. There's people here that want us to be bought by another billionaire or whatever. There's people here that think that, you know, you should be owned by nation states and things like that. I don't believe that. I'm here today for fan ownership. And I think a lot of Mancunians are here today for fan ownership. Fan representation and working class representation back in English football. Because it's, it's been missing from the, you know, from the Premier League for a long time now. That's obviously one of the, the slight dividing factors is that people want the quick Newcastle or Manchester City fix, but a lot of Manchester United fans would say that Manchester United don't actually need that, that they are a sustainable enough brand. Manchester United don't need blood money or want it. At the end of the day, Manchester United is... We, we came back from the Munich air disaster. That's what Manchester United is about. It's a family club. It's a club for the community. It's a club for Manchester. It's not a club for billionaires to come in and leech off and be parasitical owners on. We've seen it too many times in English football. It's not just a Manchester United issue today. You've seen it at Bury. You've seen it at Bolton. You've seen it at other football clubs as well throughout the football leagues. And we need independent regulators and fan ownership models brought into football. Now, that is what we're asking for today. Look. What like last time I've been to the game was like a year ago, and like obviously we have had some struggles throughout the year, and what I'm seeing today is just like brings like a you know a nice emotion in my heart, and I really really do believe this is going to be a turning point. You know, it's a hard game against a really really good team. You know, full respect to them, but then we're the greatest team in the world, we're the greatest team in England, and I really really do believe that today is going to be the turning point for us. And I really, really hope for a really, really good win.
Well, I just said to somebody over there, you can feel the energy. You know, you can feel the energy when you stood here. The emotion, the frustration, it's all building up and, you know, it's a nice feeling, honestly. It feels like something big is about to happen. Absolutely, you know, and that's why I'm here myself. Taking the day off, taking the day off work today specifically. Today specifically. Just to come here and be here and be part of it. Hey! 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 Uh, How many years have you been a Manchester United fan for? Well, this is what I said to these lads over there that are shouting my name. I said, I'm here on behalf of my dad, my auntie, my grandma, my granddad, everyone in my family. I'm here to represent today. And so it goes back generations and that's why I'm here. You're not going to the game tonight? No, not tonight. No, no. You've stopped going to games? Yes, I have, yes. Is that because of the ownership? Yes, yeah. Is, yeah. At what point in the Glazers' ownership did you stop going to games? Uh, after Fergie's range, really. We just we didn't go forward. We ended up sat going backwards. And then uh, um, the transfers, we get up, they weren't going to put any money in for the transfers. They were just buying plays just for the sake of it, really, like panic buying. And it's, it's the same how it's been, how they've done the business, really. Is it hard to not go to watch Manchester United? It is hard, yeah, it is. Very hard. It's, um, it's even hard watching on TV, really, how they're performing. It's, I mean, they need, they need somebody, a foot up the backside to, um, to, get him, to get him motivated, to get him sat winning again. But uh, it's just a shit damn shame how it's turned out, really. It's my first time coming to Manchester, it's a great experience so far. Loving the vibes, you know, it's a great I'm from Jamaica. Right. So looking forward to the experience. It's been, it's been great so far. It's been great. It's incredible the turnout and um, just the, the pure volume around here, right? Yeah, yeah, it's great. Great, great turnout. I enjoy the peaceful process protest. But you know, looking forward to the match against Liverpool. Yeah, we'll get in on time, right? Yeah, we should, we should. <laughs> Oh, about 45 minutes left. We're moving really quickly. Yeah, yeah, we are. We definitely are. We uh, definitely are. So what, when it comes to, to, to the Glazers, how, how long have you been anti-Glazer for? Uh, about the last three seasons. Yeah. I got tired of some of the decisions, managerial choices. You know, we need to know, we need to plan properly. Yeah. The best time when to get rid of a coach. I think Ole did a good job at his part. But after the season, he came second. We should have swapped out for a top-class manager. Yeah. Ten Hag was there. We should have gone for Ten Hag from that time. You think Ten Hag is the guy? I do think Tenag is a guy. I do. Nice. I do appreciate him as a coach. He's going to take some time, though. I actually do want to back him. I think they need to give him the support, the real, real support that he deserves. And we're looking forward to it. Yeah, he's the biggest one by far, to be fair. And it's actually, like, it's nice to see that it's peaceful and not, not got out of hand quickly. Do you think it could actually have some sort of impact on where the club is going? I'd like to think so. I mean, it's, it's the only thing we've got to try, really. I mean, I'm an FC, FC United season ticket holder, so I've been doing this sort of since since the Glazers first came in but ultimately the only way we're going to achieve anything is by doing it peacefully like getting people to notice it and there's no point doing anything sort of violent so if numbers are like this every week I don't see why not it's, it's pressure and it's the, com the commercial dip down as, as sponsors see what's going on it's all we can do well that's a really good point this isn't the last time we're going to see this I hope not I certainly hope not I mean I don't obviously a sale's not going to be a quick process and neither is kind of this and 
as long as people can stick with it and sort of I don't think it's a case of seeing change but I think as long as people can see numbers grow then we've got to it's all we, it's all we can do really Right, really interesting stuff there, Owen. Um, the atmosphere didn't seem particularly anything other than uh, united, to um, steal a word. Uh, there was no nastiness, there was no no specific edge to it as the evening progressed, was there? No, not at all, actually. And um, yeah, like uh, as I said, the only kind of time was just obviously uh, a few curt no's and uh, like really kind of get away from me when I was walking around with a microphone before things started, but uh, literally nothing nothing to speak of other than that and um, I think every, everybody involved would have been pretty happy with that what's, what's going to be interesting is that if the ownership does leave the club what will then happen um, th- then I suspect is when the divisions might start to show if they haven't already which is re- with regards to what sort of model they want to, to take the club forward like is it going to be a fan owned model is it going to be uh, Britain's richest man is it going to be a nation state I yeah. think that's probably where the debate lies and of well, course those debates are happening right now but they were pretty united for for obvious reasons last night yeah the the, the uh, Glazers out is the unifying thing that brings that yeah. crowd together but afterwards what happens is it's actually not going to be decided by that crowd it's going to be decided ultimately by the Glazers and who they sell to so um, I guess that's a story for another day then the the tribalism that you see and you witness there you kind of forget it Sometimes, because when, when, what we see here in Ireland, unless you are a match goer, is you see the stuff in the stadium where the stadiums are generally full and there's uh, an away end and then three quarters of the rest of the stadium is, is full. But the bits outside, that's where the colour of these matches are. And that's why it's actually worth people going over to see these games. 100%. And the fact that there was a, this, this protest was only actually completely added to the, to the whole experience, like where you, you feel that there's kind of like this, this, this sort of semi-social movement happening uh, kind of in tandem with the football itself, um, which is, yeah, it's pr- pretty cool to see up close. Like I would say afterwards, like for people to go over to matches and stuff like that, there doesn't seem to be like one central hub for people to, to congregate afterwards. Like, as I say, I'm going to be bringing you like the, the, the fan reaction tomorrow morning with regards to, to people celebrating. But um, like for purely selfish reasons, it's not fish in a barrel. There's not just like one place where Manchester United fans are. Some of them go into the city, some of them hang around different pubs, but there isn't just like one place where they all stay. So, um, it took a bit of work. It took a bit of walking around and actually trying to find people. I mean, what an absolute disgrace that was! And the hardest work a man in show business, Owen. I mean, I, I, we understand that you, you know, you were late because you were editing, obviously, and um, you're bleary-eyed because you weren't up drinking. You're just—I uh, mean, obviously, this is your natural disposition anyway. But you're specifically bleary-eyed this morning because of all the late-night editing you had to do to bring us this top-quality content this morning. Thank you so much. It's like my inner monologue there. You you read out the strongly worded email that I sent to you word for word there, Jared. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, oh, and we're going to let you go and uh, get your flight. And I guess you'll be back in with us tomorrow where we'll get your hot take on the, the new Mayo Dream Team that has taken over. Unless you want to give us uh, eight seconds on it now. Well, I just think um, I think, I think it's kind of like, is it redemption for, for Kevin McStay and Liam McHale? Or, or like, I mean, because they definitely came away from previous um, processes pretty poisoned by the whole thing, saying we will never go back in again. So I find it A, interesting that they went back in for another bite of the cherry and B, interesting that they've got the job. So, I mean, Mayo is an endlessly fascinating county and that's not going to change next year. In fact, this probably makes them more interesting going into 23. And a four-year term. Is that right? I hadn't seen that. A four-year hey. term, yeah. Wow. That is, now that is an, an interesting one. Like, so he's in it for the long haul. I, I just r- had wrongly assumed that uh, next day's chance as Mayo manager had passed him by and maybe he had, it, he had kind of passed the job by as well where he was ready for it a few years ago and maybe 
five years down the line he was happy enough doing his punditry and, and maybe thinking that it wasn't for him anymore it was totally wrong so that's going to be fascinating and I know for a fact that Mikhail is hungry to get back in there as well like we've had him on the show quite a lot over the last few years and I think he's pretty much put that on the record himself that uh, he'd love to have got that job just involved the next day in the Mayo setup, and now he's got it yeah well look we'll get more on that a little bit later on in the show Oh, good stuff top quality work thanks a million Cheers, chat to you. It's uh, 10 minutes past eight. Champions Rob Kearney, Johnny Murta and Ger Lyons will join off the ball for our Longines Irish Champions weekend special in the Davenport Hotel this Friday, August the 26th. It uh, kicks off at seven o'clock. It's going to be a great weekend of Premier Racing at Leopardstown and the Curra on Saturday and Sunday, September the 10th and 11th. This is our official start to previewing that. It's an exclusive off-air event, so the only way to enjoy it properly is to be there on the night. And we certainly saw that. The people who were in the room for uh, Ian Wright the other night will never forget it. But some of that content's never going to make it to air. So you actually have to be there to experience it properly. Tickets to attend the show are free. You've got to register, though, at otbsports.com forward slash events for tickets. After the break, more reaction to Manchester United with Daniel Harris. First, here's a bit more from Owen's reports live from Manchester before the game. We're joining the protest. Um, look, we're fed up with the Glazers. We think they're not good for the football club. They're not investing their own money. Um, any good business has to, has to have investors who are willing to invest in the business. They're all take, take, take. Um, the club is rotting from the inside out, and it's due to what the Glazers are doing to the club. Um, there's a common misconception that uh, we're only protesting when we're not signing players or when things go bad. That's not the case. The, the club were protesting when the good times, 2008, 2009, 2010. People are sick to death of... The vampires, which is what they are. They're vampires. Uh, they're not here for the good of the club. They're here to take dividends. They're here to take money out. We're, we're after spending $1.5 billion on loans, interest rates, repayments. They're screwing the club over. They're screwing a loyal fan base. We're the biggest club in the world. There should never be a hostile takeover of Manchester United based on borrowings. Um, so the fans are sick of it and it's time that the fans stood up and, which is what they're doing now and said like enough is enough it's, buying a player and parading him in front of the Strefford end tonight in Casemiro is not going to change what they've done to the club you know um, so it's about time we stood up all united get these, these crowd out of the club and we drive it on and we go back to the, the way we used to be when fans had a heavy say in the club and it was a family club and it wasn't Manchester United it was Manchester United Football Club. Because that's what it is. We were a football club. Yeah. We're no longer a football club. Can I ask you, are, are people, do people have tickets tonight and are not going to use them? Or, or how is the protest going to work beyond the, the, the market? Look, I, 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 I think the problem is, I think, look, um, people still love Manchester United soccer team. So like, 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 people still want to support the club and support the team. So they're a bit torn in what to do in terms of, like, in a way, they'd like not to go in and say, like, look, we want the owners out. But in another way, they want to support the players. You know, and the players need support at the moment, right? So, um, bit torn, divided, divided loyalties. But I, I, look, I think it's down to the individual, really. But I think everyone is united in the belief that they want the owners out. So, so, uh, so you're going to uh, march all the way down. We we'll march down. We we'll do the protest. We are going to go to support yeah. the team, but we also realise what the bigger, the bigger yeah. thing is here going on. Like, and that's we need new owners. Like, we need someone who appreciates the club loves the club supports the club and is ready to back the club in what we need to do to compete with the big boys going forward because United are no longer like they might think they're big boys but the way they're carrying on off the pitch they're no longer big boys waiting until the end of the transfer window scrambling around 
Um, if I was Ten Hag, I'd probably walk. Do you know? Already? Already, yeah. I'd probably walk out and say, like, uh, he hasn't been supported, he hasn't been back, his hands are tied behind his back. Um, just absolutely amateur over is what it is at Old Trafford all the time. Amateur over laughing stock at the moment, like, you know? You know, the fans like to think, like, oh, look at Arsenal, look at this. Well, we're a laughing stock at the moment, like, it's not nice, like, you know? It's about time now they started uh, getting their act together and going back and sorting the house out, like, you know? OTB AM. We've been doing the show basically five years and we've had uh, Daniel Harris on. I don't remember a morning. I, I expect him to smile, Daniel. Are you smiling this morning? Is this the first I'm time ever? Smiling. I mean, because ultimately. Because I mean, of football, as opposed to, you know, exterior forces that make you just a happy person. Specifically for <laughs> the football. If you can't laugh, if you can't laugh at post Fergie United, you've just got no sense of humour. I mean, you have to, you have to find them funny. And I, I said actually on Twitter last night that I've taken the piss out of, and made sport of this United team more than any other United team in my lifetime because they're such a bunch of losers. Like, they've been capable of performances like this for more or less two years now. In the probably more than that, they've been good enough to beat the best teams, and they've also been good enough to win consistently to go to and to beat the, the the teams that they should beat. And it's all about whether they can be asked. And I said it on Twitter last night, actually. And then about ten minutes later, Tenach came on, and they asked him about setup and tactics, and he said it's not really about that; it's about mentality. And I think people laugh, particularly at Roy Keane and Grand Grand Sunes, but. Uh, footballers in general, they're constantly banging on about mentality because it's become quite fashionable these days to think that everything is tactics and systems and choreographed passing and coordination and this and that. And I'm not saying that stuff isn't important, but if you've got good players and they try hard, you should be a good team. And United have got some good players. What is missing is that nastiness, that devotion, that dedication to to put everything on the line. And you saw that they did that last night and you saw the way that they played and that is the way that they can play. And people that have been watching United know that that's the case. And that's why this team have been so frustrating that they're not just a total bunch of donkeys, that they can play. And we saw that last night. I do think that part of it has to do as well with setup where you're actually given the license or the the reason to be on the front foot and to press and to be aggressive. It's a very natural position for uh, particularly young footballers is to go out and chase and run and harry because it gets you into a game. And I do think a little bit of that has to do with the fact that you're not protecting Harry Maguire and the ball over the top, that actually the team selection begets the ability to go and be on the front foot. And I know there's countless examples of that, but... Actually, the big decision in, in dropping Harry Maguire ripped the bandage off, and now it's done, and it's over. The Maguire era is over. <laughs> it's it's actually I don't. It wasn't even just Maguire because the thing that was new I thought last night um, was particularly was the way United defended the box was the blocks they were getting in, and that that was the new lads in defence. It wasn't just um, Martinez instead of Maguire. It was that was by far the best Varane's played for United, and it was also and he's someone who hasn't been available a lot of the time. And it was also Malassia. The difference between Malassia and Shaw, and that Shaw Shaw's a good player, but or at least he's capable of being a good player. But he plays like someone who's always been the best. It look, Martial's like this too. They're players who look like they've got to where they've got to on talent alone, and talent alone isn't enough. And when you put someone like Malassia in there, and it's not just the fact that he's young. I don't think. I think because Shaw didn't play like that when he was young. It's the fact that he just 
it's more, I think, probably a personality thing as much as anything rather than a youthfulness thing. And I 100% agree that the main thing Ten Hag did last night, it wasn't, again, the systems and it wasn't the tactics. It was the fact that he picked the right team. He picked the players that would run for him, the players that would be physical for him. And that more or less makes them the best players. And he he, he got that right. And in a way, actually, um, the, the what happened against Brighton, what happened against Brentford probably worked out quite well for United because he had to do something. There were no excuses. If they'd have lost to Brentford 2-1 or they'd have come out in the second half, scored a couple of goals, then he could have been forgiven for persevering with the players, saying, well, they're not quite fit enough, they're not quite attuned with what he wants them to do. But they were so bad against against Brentford that he didn't have to do anything. Because what, what I think, part of the thing is when you're a new manager and you come in, then you don't necessarily want to change a load of things, particularly when you're not... It's not, for example, like Conte coming in at Tottenham where he has the political capital to do what he wants because he's, he's won stuff and they haven't. Um, Tenard's come from... He's come from the Dutch league. He's not used to the league, so he's got to get used to the league. He's busy probably arguing with the owners about signings. He needs the players on side. So coming in, dropping the captain from the beginning probably felt like something he didn't necessarily want to do or shouldn't do. But then he he ended up not needing the political capital to do it because th- they did it for him. They were so crap that he had he had to do something. So he got the team right. And I think we now know more or less, pending signings, what United's best team is. And it's taken him three games basically to work that out. But it needed the first game, the first two, to be dreadful for him to say, this is what I'm going to do. Like even just looking at the, the YouTube comments this morning, Daniel, on, on, on our show, like a lot of United fans talking about Bruno, talking about Varane as, as potential captains of this of this team. Like, and, and even the pundits last night in TV were talking about the fact that Lisandro Martinez is a left-footed centre-half. Dutch managers, generally speaking, philosophically like to have a left-footed centre-half, someone who can play out, play, uh, play football from the back. Uh, Maguire's just not that player. And, and a lot of United fans probably have Victor Lindelof even ahead of, of Maguire now in the pecking order as well. Like, does a serious conversation need, need to start now, Daniel, in terms of Harry Maguire's captaincy? Like, there's an argument he maybe kept the status quo going from the he previous can't, tenure? Can't, you can't put him back in the team and you can't make him captain of the team anymore. You can't. That's over. If, if You can't go back. Who's the captain, Daniel? Uh, I guess, I mean, I, I hope that it's Bruno who has kind of been the spiritual leader of the team for the last few years. I think that People got on his back with good reason. He's been rubbish now for quite a few months, but he was the last one to go. He turned up, he elevated everything. He was the best player in the team. And when they all went one by one under Ole and under Rangnick, it felt like he was the last one who stuck it out. But what was really great to see about him yesterday, I thought, was the the shift he put in. Because in Ole's team, he basically, he had to play as a number 10 because there was no one else really creating anything. So he was just like constant Hollywood passes. He did a lot of running about, but he was basically in the team to make goals happen, whether with a final pass or by scoring himself. But he thinks he can be more than that. There's a really good long-form interview he did um, with the official United site. It's a podcast. And um, he talked about that when he's older, he'd like to play as a number six. And I think a lot of people probably laugh at that because of the Hollywood passes. That's not what number sixes do. But he also says he can play as an eight. And that's something I always thought he could do because he's got really good football intelligence and he's got a really good engine and he's got really good desire. It's just the demands of playing for this particular United team stopped him from being that. Whereas now in this team, if you want to play, and I guess it seems like uh, that Tenaf plans to play Casemiro, Bruno and Eriksen as a midfield three, 
if you're going to do that, then you need Casemiro is obviously going to be the anchor, but it means the other two are going to have to put in shifts. Every time they play, they're going to have to run. And we saw Bruno doing exactly that last night. And it's good to see that he's capable. He's not just someone who can see a pass and execute, a, like a difficult pass and execute it sometimes. He's someone who can also just play as a continuity player, just keep keep the ball circulating, keep the ball moving. And obviously Liverpool had much more of the ball than United did. But particularly watching the first hour or so, it didn't really look like that to watch it because in dangerous areas, it was United doing that. And one of the things that was enabling them to do that was Bruno. And you also mentioned uh, the Sandro Martinez. I think that what was really, really great about him, the thing that really stood out, apart from we know that he's, He's an Argentinian defender. He defends in the Argentinian style. He'll be throwing himself into everything. He'll be aggressive. He'll try and get to the ball first. But if you look at the first goal, that was not the kind of goal that you've seen United score very much of in the last bit, which was where they worked Liverpool to the right. Then the attack broke down and they were able to sustain the attack and came over to the left and they scored from there. And that, that's a phrase that Fergie loves, sustain the attacks. When you hear Fergie's players talk about football, they talk about ring-fencing the opposition box and sustaining the attacks. United under Ole, which is, I think, the best team under Fergie that we've seen, weren't able to really do that. But what we saw last night was when that first goal came, the ball goes from right and it goes to centre and they don't quite find the gap. It goes back to Martinez. And I think Lindelof or Maguire thinking about passing that square or passing that back. But what Martinez does is one first-time touch forward into space towards the corner. It's not a brilliant ball to feet. It's not a switch, the kind of 40-yard switch from left to right that he's partly been bought to play. It was a really simple pass straight into space, straight into the corner. And it was that that enabled United to sustain the attacks. And it's partly a mentality thing that you trust yourself to play that pass. But it's also a mentality thing in that you're not scared, that you believe you belong here to play football. And that that one pass, I thought, really characterised what Martinez is going to bring to this team. And obviously, people have had a lot to say about the fact that he's not that tall, where if you actually, someone on Twitter comped up every ball that Brentford played that might potentially have been targeting Martinez's lack of height and really it it was nothing there may well be times when he's targeted and they have to find a way of dealing with that but I mean and again just the same way I'm not going to get too over over excited about how badly he apparently played against Brentford I don't actually think he did I thought he was rubbish in the first half against Brighton but he's been okay after that but last night, he was absolutely brilliant. And we saw all the different facets of what could make him a really good player. And we could definitely see why Ten Hag bought him. It's not just because he played for him before. If you if you think about it, right, so Ericsson has come in. Uh, we talked about Martinez. Malaysia started. I kind of thought Malaysia was one of those signings that Man United make um, where they invest in a young player and then mm-hmm. they never play him. And he leaves the club in two and a half years' time for a fee similar to the one that they pay for him. But actually, straighten the team. So those three are straight in the team. That's a significant restructuring of what's going on. And the players they're replacing, it's also significant that those players are gone in terms of tone and tenor and who's the boss in the changing room and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's been a reasonable window uh, so far. And there's still another seven, eight days for them to do some work. Um, yeah, I think the thing about Malassia, I, I kind of circumstantial evidence told me that he was probably a good player. I mean, I I've seen him play in the conference league final. He played all right there, but the, it was just the fact that there was evidence, like televisual evidence of Ten Hag saying he thought he was great. But also it just felt like if I was 
if I had been strengthening this United team, left back wouldn't have been the first place I'd go. They're desperate for a right back, but left back wouldn't have been what I would have well I would have gone for. So the fact that he was buying a left back made me think that he probably thought that this guy was too good to miss out on. And obviously there's a long way to go, but what was really good seems to be really good about him is he's obviously fast and strong and he's got some skill on the ball. But again, it's the mentality, it's that ability to come into a game against Liverpool, your first start for United in the new league. And you're just absolutely not cowed at all. He's just he's diving into tackles if he thought it was necessary. He's he's trying to get forward. And it's just that way that they defended the box, because that is not really an issue of talent. It's an issue of concentration, focus, and bloody mindedness. That Liverpool, you didn't really I mean, and I say that as I'm watching it the game as a United fan, I didn't it wasn't that terrifying in the last twenty. And even after Liverpool scored, I didn't particularly think that they were going to equalise. And the reason I didn't think they were going to equalise is the way the defenders defended the box, that they were getting blocks in, they were getting to the ball first, they were supporting each other, they were defending as a unit. And even when United were winning games under Ole and the defensive record was good, I came on here and I said that United's defensive record is a lot better than United's defending. They used to allow quite a lot of chances. They didn't defend the box that well. Whereas how many times last night did Liverpool have really good chances where you thought they were going to score three, four maximum? And to do that against a team of that quality, when you're playing a back four that has never played together before, someone's making their first start for the team, someone else is making their third start, having not, having got a lot of aggravation and been subbed in the previous game, to be able to come and play like that that tells you quite a lot, I think, about their mentality. And ultimately, in football and in all sport, you'll always have that talent talent and mentality will always be tactics and strategy. It's- and when you've got them all, you can be good. And United have got a long way to go before they're really good, but we've seen what they're roughly where what their top level looks like. And we should also say that that they played Liverpool at a good time. Liverpool weren't we can't pretend Liverpool weren't missing loads of players. They were, they're also not in great form. So that's also worth acknowledging. But one of the reasons they didn't play well last night was because United didn't let them. It's funny when we have the, the Bruno Fernandes conversation, lads, and I think this this stat popped up on screen last night to say like Bruno's goal involvements for United were, were every 95 minutes before Ronaldo signed. And since he signed, it's been every 233 minutes. That's before last night. Like, Is it the accepted notion now, Daniel, that, that Ronaldo really has been stifling Bruno Fernandes and possibly other players like Rashford and maybe Martial as well? Like... Is Ronaldo is Ronaldo's time at the club coming to an end? Uh, I think so. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't blame Bruno's lack of output solely on Ronaldo because Ronaldo's arrival coincided with Maguire and Shaw just totally forgetting how to play football. And I think still, like the thing that I felt was still the biggest deal in in why United ended up having such a dreadful season last season was the way that they defended in the first in the first few months. Um, it was that that started to bring everyone else down, particularly. Is he, um, I mean, Ronaldo is something else, that he was a different kind of player. That um, And Bruno does definitely play better with Martial because Martial is someone for him to play off. He holds the ball when, when he's good. He's really good. He holds, he holds the ball up really well. He's got lovely feet. Um, he's, he sees a pass. He can run with it. And those things are much better for someone like Bruno to play with than Ronaldo, who's basically... He'll either score or he doesn't, but he won't do very much else. He won't bring. He won't elevate the way the way the team are able to play. Now, if you took Ronaldo out of United last season, they would have finished. They would have done even worse. They wouldn't have gotten the Europa League, which would have probably led to some fairly significant financial penalties, and the players they are able to sign this summer. 
So in that sense, I don't actually think United signing Ronaldo was a bad thing because I think, as I said, like the key reason for why United was so dreadful last season, in the first instance, it wasn't Ronaldo, it was the defending. And if they didn't, if they'd not had Ronaldo and they defended like that, then that would have probably been even worse. I mean, who knows? I'm not in the dressing room. Maybe Ronaldo coming ruined the whole equilibrium and had something to do with how badly everyone else played. Uh, I think that feels like a bit of a reach. I'm not saying it didn't have an effect on the, in the changing room. I'm sure it did. But it was still like the way that they defended and the lack of effort and the lack of focus in those first few months that were really why they were so bad last season. But I'm 100% sure now that Ronaldo doesn't get into the best team. And that's even before they've signed another attacker, which they might do. Yeah. And in that circumstance, maybe the best thing is just to terminate the contract, pay whatever you have to pay, let him go, like come up with some deal, like sort this situation out. So the constant circus around him goals as well like less circus more football but where is he going if well, there was somewhere if he's to free go, if he's free to go he'll go someone will sign him do you know what i mean maybe like, but where because the thing is is the teams for which he wants to play he wants to play for a team that can win the champions league and he's already market researched that and got nowhere which was seemed it would seem very strange at the time that he would say that he wanted to leave for that reason and not have somewhere lined up but perhaps if you i mean united if, if united cancelled the contract and so it's no transfer fee, and it's just, and they just get rid of the wages. Maybe, maybe that would work, but I, I, I still don't know, don't know who it would be. But it's not something to which I would be opposed. I mean, there's more of a market. Find- yeah, I think there's more of a market for for that. And you do a deal with Ronaldo where it's like uh, we'll offset whatever we owe you against whatever new contract you get. Come on, let's all be friends here because he wants to go. He doesn't want to stay. So he does, but then a- he has to come with. I'm going to here. This is this is where I'm going, but not not if there's a no contract. And not, that's what I mean. If he if he becomes a free agent, then it doesn't really matter. It's up to him. Like off you go, go on. Because somebody, yeah, yeah, somebody can, will sign he if can, he's a free agent. Like, yeah, he can retire if he wants. If that's the case, I guess. And I I think that part of me still thinks that he is probably not if not un, he could, in theory he would be not unhelpful to have around someone who can get you goals when you might need one. Slightly different option. Quite enjoyed the fact that last night that like they brought him on basically to defend to defend corners because he's good in the air. Um, so it's someone someone you might bring on, someone you might play in particular games, and I guess he might think actually I haven't got anywhere to go, and maybe maybe there's a reason to stay here. Um, he, he might think that. I guess he probably is now pot committed and has has to go. So yeah, I, I would I would allow him to go. I'm pretty sure Ten Hag would allow him to go as well, but he's worth a lot of commercial. He's worth a lot commercially to United, so. Uh, the Glazers might well want to keep him, and that is definitely something that has been said that that that, they, that the the manager wants rid, but the but the, the owners insist that he stays. So, I mean, there's still there's still what two weeks left of the transfer of the transfer window, so so we'll find out. But feels like he's definitely lost his place in the starting eleven last night. Schwartzy Long says uh, United will win the league provided every team they play is at half strength. Oh, the bitter words from the Liverpool fans this morning. <laughs> Burn. Um, do we, do we like? We obviously uh, could very easily overrate the quality of the performance if it turns out that the Liverpool team are just really bad at the moment and uh, have a long way to go to get back to um, or are suffering some weird post-season hangover after you know going toe to toe with um, with uh, Real Madrid in the final and then also obviously of course with Manchester City. So not to overrate the performance last night, but I think the reason that the Man United fans in the office are so excited is that there was a plan there was an identity the the plan was effectively carried out and uh, they still have Casemiro to come into the team so I don't I, I don't I don't think we should be 
raining on the parade today. This is we've been raining on the parade, as I said, basically since our existence. Uh, and now is the time for Man United fans to have an afternoon in the sun. Getting yeah, the it's not. Tickles. It's not. It's not exactly about Liverpool. Obviously, they're a big rival and a brilliant team, so beating them is meaningful more so than meaning meaning more so than beating other teams. But if they'd have beaten any team playing like that, more or less, it would have been uplifting because they did so many of the things that they haven't been doing for so long. That it's not because we talk quite a lot about people have been talking about distance run and sprints and all of that. But it's not just about that actually, although that is pleasing to see. It's the fact that they were doing things quickly with the ball that what I was alluded to in Martinez before in the first goal, that they're moving the ball quickly. They're playing with conviction and confidence and imagination. And that's not really a facility of Liverpool having players injured. It's a facility of mentality. It's how they've been told to go out and do things. It's how they've decided themselves. They've taken it upon themselves to go out and play fast, fast football, fast attacking, aggressive football. And those are all the things they've not been doing recently. And, the fact that they were able to do it against Liverpool is better. I mean, and, and we can talk about Liverpool missing half the team. I mean, I know it's important. I mentioned it myself. But it's not that that stopped Virgil van Dijk from closing down Jadon Sancho, nor is it that that meant that Jadon Sancho had the composure and the presence of mind to do that in the box when in a tight space. So there are certain aspects where you think, well, maybe had Liverpool had all their players available then they might have come back into the game. They might have got a draw. They might have even won 3-2. Who knows? I think if they'd have had Jota on the bench or if they'd have had uh, Nunez to start, who knows? It, would have been, it might have been slightly different in the end. Yeah. But the way that United started that game, the conviction that they played with is something that's not really anything to do with Liverpool at all. And it's to do with a change in mentality and a change in approach from United. And as we said earlier, the fact that Tenor taken two games and now he knows what the best team is more yeah. or less and well, he played it. Let me let me just ask you that because the, the next two fixtures I think are Southampton and Leicester and you would expect in both those games Manchester United to have way more of the ball and so um, that is going to present a different challenge and something that they need to work out uh, and think through and that's that's the other side of this is that like uh, you know this is not going to be finished in a day but you just need to see clear signs of progress. What do they need to show? when they're in possession of the ball and they're dominating a game for you to think, okay, this is actually not just going to work when we're faced with a supposedly superior team who might have more of the ball, but actually we can have more of the ball and still be effective. It's, it's speed of play and intensity. Those, those two things, it's doing things, it's moving the ball quickly, doing things quickly. And then if, then the, if you get the opposition chasing, then that that makes things much easier to do because what you've got now in this team is also you've got extra attackers. You're going to have Casemiro playing and that's going to allow you... I mean, he, he played uh, Ericsson and Bruno anyway tonight, which tells you that that's what he thinks he's going to do because he did it before he had Casemiro. But now he's got Casemiro, he's got two attacking midfield players, not Fred McTominay and one attacking midfield player. And... He's also got Jaden Sancho on the right, which means that you're able to keep the width a lot more, to stretch the play a lot more. And that's, that, that's one of the ways you score against teams who are, who are, who have got, who are defending deeper. Uh, centre back in Martinez who can pass, who can bring the ball forward and make an extra attacker. And I think what you often end up with in, in these teams is you end up with what will happen is you'll see Casemiro will drop, will drop. And you'll see the fullback into a back three and you'll see the fullbacks getting forward and you'll see United attacking with five players. And under Ole, they didn't really do that. And as soon as he, as soon as he tried to play a more expansive game, that was when it all went wrong. Because partly because I think that 
the players didn't quite know how to attack in that way. And also the defend the players weren't good enough to defend one on one. And I think that with with Varane, if you've got Varane fit and you've got Martinez and you've got Malassi, you've got players who are quick enough, who've got recovery pace, who are also able to defend one-on-one, and that means that you're able to commit more men forward. Of course, they're going to be bumps in the road, but I think the thing about this team is they're not a bunch of novices. They're, they're good players who have some idea of how to play football and how to be good at football, and you've seen them be good at football before. So watching them f- put that performance in last night shouldn't really be that surprising if you saw the way... These players have played against Manchester City before, played against Liverpool before. So when you start playing against uh, Southampton and Leicester, it's always, I mean, it's about matching them for uh, intensity and mentality. But then it's, it's it's that ability to think quickly and to play bright and to play bravely, not to worry about giving the ball away by being too precise, but to just to just keep moving the ball because that's that's what they've struggled with often against these kinds of teams, as you mentioned. But I think they're now in a much better position to break them down because of the players that they've signed, the way that the way and the way that they're structured and the, the way that they're organised. Daniel, like we spoke at the top of the show this morning about about Eric Ten Hag and how maybe you know in advance of last night he probably doesn't dominate the press room, maybe like a like a Conte or a Tuchel or a Mourinho. Um, like, and I'm just enjoying one of the comments in here tonight from from Bryce saying Jer is a bit salty today. Like Ten Hag was a little bit salty last night, and a lot of United fans will be quite happy to see that. Uh, yeah, he's not got obvious consuming charisma like Klopp does, um, or, or he's not got probably the force of personality that Conte has, but there are different ways of getting players to play for you. So one of the ways we're seeing at Arsenal at the moment, I think, is like Arteta doesn't, to me, have very much presence or charisma or anything like that. It's quite cringe, but... His team has players who like him, partly because they're indebted to him. He's given a lot of those players their chance and they can see that it's got better under him, so they'll play for him. And I think Ten Hag is, when you hire someone who's more of a technocrat than a charismatic figure, you need the force of personality, the charisma to come through the football. And the players would have seen what, what happened last night and that will start to get them thinking that this guy knows something, that he's signed good players that he's picked players to play in a brave style against one of the best teams in the world, and it's worked. And that enables his, his kind of slow-burning presence to start to take an effect. So his inter- I thought his interview on Sky last night was excellent. That F-bomb he, and all as well. He, well, yeah, exactly. And the players will see that. And he says, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it on here, so I'll, I'll say that he, they, can, they can effing play good football. And the players see that and they think... This guy is quite funny, he's quite quirky, and he believes in us, and what he says works. And then you're starting to acquire the status in the dressing room that enables them to do good things, because the players, there's some players, like, so Martinez and Malassia are sort of indebted to him, because he's, obviously Malassia he brought, and um, Martinez he bought and has played for him before. Then the other players will start to see, well, then... That, that he he's picking them as well, and yeah. he's gonna he's imp- he's improving the team, and it starts to it starts to work where he's 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 in control now. Well, he dropped the um, captain, and he dropped the most famous footballer in the world. Like you know, that's that's a ballsy power move pretty early on. In it before we go, one last question from Jack Gleeson in our YouTube comments: Would it matter if Ronaldo went to another Premier League team? Uh, I mean, not to me. I mean, I don't. I can't think of one that would that would buy him at this point because. 
the the thing that's so fascinating about the Premier League, and obviously it's a facet of money and dirty money, but is that there are so many good teams and teams just look like there's they've reached good equilibrium. So if you look at the teams above United, like they look most of them look confident and settled. And I'm not certain that anyone would want to toss an aging Ronaldo into that mix Newcastle. because I, um, I think it he was, it's a Champions League football thing. So it, yeah. I think let's let's I, I I wouldn't say anybody's going to spend any money on Ronaldo because they're going to wait and see if he gets released. There's a good chance that he might get released, yeah. and then therefore you don't have to give Man United any money for it. In that instance, would Chelsea take him? I'm not sure. I don't think so. But I think the last thing that they would want. I mean, they might panic, but it, because they do they do need a striker. But uh, I, I I don't think Tuchel would want to chuck Ronaldo into that is because. It's it's not even the actual player. It's also the ego and the scrutiny. And I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe he could get by him for Ronaldo to say you play when I say you play and you shut up, and that would work. But it would be a massive stretch to believe that Ronaldo is capable of that, even if he told you that he was. Yeah. There's so no I, yeah, yeah. There is no evidence whatsoever to think that Cristiano Ronaldo can behave with humility. Right. I would agree. On that note. Daniel, good stuff. Thanks a million. See ya, Tara. Bye. It's uh, Daniel Harris with us after a rare moment of Manchester United victory over the last uh, period of time. Uh, Jer's a bit salty today, says uh, Brian. No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm really not. That's I'm what like, someone who was salty would say, though. I'm, I'm enjoying the. Um, the uh, we all we all want Man United back. I you mean, sound so sincere, Jer. I don't. I don't think the carnival is finished just yet. <laughs> It's a bit of a circus. It has been a circus. Uh, but as Non-stop. you said at the start, let us enjoy our moment in the I sun. Am, I am. Let yeah. us get our tic- tickles or our, our bellies tickled, as you said. It's 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 quite a day for United fans. I know they might lose to Southampton next weekend, but so be it. Uh, well, that would be that would be remarkable. Right. Off the ball needs your help. We're currently recruiting for a survey. If you listen to us across any platform at least a couple of times a week, then we'd like to ask you some questions. You can sign up on Twitter. Check out our pinned tweet. Or if you're an Instagram user, check out our Save Stories. We're also posting this across TikTok and on Facebook. Failing that, you can WhatsApp us on 0879-180-180 and we'll send it out to you. There are three separate prizes of €100 Euros up for grabs for anyone who gets selected to take part. Now, it is time for the Sports News with Colin Lanny. Colin, good morning to you. Hi, lads. How's it going? Very well. What's going on? Not much now. Uh, you're still basking in the glow, Shane, of last night, clearly. Oh, loving it. Yeah. Absolutely loving this. You know, and the fact that it was Jaden Sancho, like when it when it happened last night, and I obviously was listening to to Jer's rant about Sancho last week in, in studio with Colum, and and <laughs> when, when when the goal went in from Sancho, I was like, please just hold on and win this game, and uh, yeah, so be it. My correct appraisal was that he had been a bust up to this point. Okay. That was true, and, and you felt and like he could turn things around. All of the Man United fans actually knew that that was the case too, so maybe it took the new manager to come in and release him and give him the confidence that I still I still think that they overpaid for him. You know, I still think that like his influence on the game isn't what you would expect for that level of investment. But you know, he's better than uh, Anthony Langa, you would say. Yeah, but it was <clears throat> for me. It was a glimpse into the post-Ronaldo world where you're, you're looking at someone like Rashford, who like Rashford has a good record against Liverpool. Um, but at the same time, like when he when he's through on goal last night, you're thinking to yourself. He's not going to score this because no. it just yeah, has yeah. such like that's been his form and like Michael Owen's comments on the roadshow last week kind of came into my head talking about that one-on-one situation and trying to let the goalkeeper make the decision for you and Owen spoke about not wanting to take the ball around the goalkeeper and that's, Rashford is that type of striker as well. I'm just going to say, yeah. and like normally he would curl the ball to, kind of around the goalkeeper into the bottom right as Alanga tried to do in the first half, but he had the confidence to almost 
change his mind and go to the left of Allison, who's who's a big goalkeeper as well. So to see Rashford and Martial kind of back to their best a little bit was the positive I'm taking from last night. The thing is that it, uh, they're so flaky. They've been so flaky for three and a half, four seasons where Rashford might now go on a run and be excellent again. Uh, Martial might start playing well again, but you can't bank on them at the moment. <laughs> and that's the difference between them and uh, City, Spurs, what Liverpool had uh, in recent seasons you knew that you were going to get high end regular goals from all of your front players and that's what we, that, I don't think United have that at the moment and that's I think why they're still in the market for forwards and I think that's probably one of the reasons why they're looking to let Ronaldo go This this Cody Gakpo player they keep being linked with from PSV uh, like, seems like a good player albeit our, our Eredivisie knowledge wouldn't be, wouldn't be great but Seems like a solid striker and and of the age profile, not like the the Falcao's or the uh, Edinson Cavani's or the Adrian Agallos. These strikers that have been signing or Zlatan. I mean, that's been and even Arnautovic, you know. And I think that that rumor was almost, as we've said, put out there by United potentially to kind of test the waters, see how fans react. But Gakpo uh, or someone of his age is, is the is the striker United need to be going for. So yeah, if they head that direction, I think United fans would would take a positive from this window. Yeah, mm. Carl. Well, I thought the two goals last night, the big thing that stood out to me was the composure of both players, mm. especially Sancho. Oh, um, because, touches. because it was such a kind of raucous atmosphere and they'd started so well and you know the tendency then probably is to smash your foot through any chance that you have at the first opportunity, but he just had the wherewithal to, to stay there, to pull it back and just slot it in. And I mean, Milner and Van Dijk, the words between them <laughs> would... I think... Van Dijk wasn't having it, was he? No. He was like, yeah, 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 whatever, shut up. I'm not sure should you be worried about that. I think you'd be more worried if that wasn't happening when things are going, yeah. going poorly. You know, I know it probably points to a frustration and obviously the mood in the dressing room isn't great, but if it wasn't happening, for example, like when United were struggling badly, there was kind of an air of um, kind of guys just don't care. Mm. Whereas when you see Milner going at Van Dijk, it doesn't look great, but it's better than players just having their head down and, and not caring about the whole We're thing. We're going to get the Liverpool view from Gareth Roberts in uh, just a moment. Uh, if you are a Liverpool fan, we'd love to hear from you. 0879-180-180. What the hell is going on? What happened? I mean, it was full-blown crisis at Man United and then they beat you. It's like, nah, you know, all those, all those pre-match jokes that everybody was making. Ha, ha, ha. Even Martin Tyler was in it. Well, I mean, wouldn't it be remarkable if we were actually like, I mean, he didn't say we, but if Manchester United were above them in the table after this game and everybody kind of, ha, 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 that's not going to happen. And then it happens. So what else is going on, Carl? Well, there's some action tonight in the Carabao Cup. Uh, Norwich in action. They take on Bournemouth. Adam Ida could return there for the Canaries. He's been struggling with a knee injury, of course, of late. Elsewhere, Leicester take on Stockport. Stephen Gerrard's Aston Villa go to Bolton and League One side Fleetwood Town of home advantage against Everton. Seamus Coleman could feature uh, there for the Toffees. Ukraine's football season starts today. That's despite the country still being under attack uh, from Russia. Their league is set to get back underway. All games are put on hold in February following the Russian invasion of the country. In Get at Games Mayo GA chairperson Seamus Toohey says Kevin McStay will bring a wealth of experience as manager of the county's senior footballers. McStay has been appointed as James Horan's successor. He's got a four-year term after last night's county board meeting. Uh, among McStay's backroom team, of course, Liam McHale, Stephen Rochford, Donny Buckley and Damien Mulligan. McStay is a native of Ballina. He lives now in Roscommon and was in charge of Roscommon for a period. He guided the Rossies to one Connacht title and, of course, led St. Bridget's to an All-Ireland club title 
as well. While elsewhere on the managerial front, Liam Sheedy uh, looks to be out of the running now to become the new Offaly hurling manager. He had been linked with the role to replace Michael Fenley, but it now appears that that will not happen. Uh, Sam Bennett back in action in the Volta España today. He's won the last two stages. There he's in the green jersey. That resumes with a 152-kilometre route today. And there's racing at Bellews Town this evening. The first there is off at 20 to 5. All right, Carl, good stuff. Thanks very much for that. It is 8.50. You're watching OTB AM or you're listening to us on podcast. We're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. A reminder, champions Rob Kearney, Johnny Murta and Ger Lyons will join off the ball for our Longines Irish Champions Weekend special in the Davenport Hotel this Friday. The weekend itself, obviously, is September 10th and 11th at Leopardstown and the Curragh. It's going to be an amazing weekend. We're kicking off the build-up to it this week. It's an exclusive off-air event. The only way to enjoy it is to be there on the night. Tickets to attend the show are free, but please register at otbsports.com forward slash events. Now, time to get some Liverpool perspective on a crushing defeat last night at Old Trafford. And I'm delighted to say we're joined by broadcaster Gareth Roberts. Gareth, do you know what happened last night? It's hard to say. I mean, not not a lot went right, it's fair to say. I think uh, Liverpool's attitudes, uh, commitments, uh, physicality, all of that kind of stuff from the very first whistle looked wrong. Uh, they looked nervous. Um, they looked disjointed. They didn't look like a unit. Um, and Manchester United were the complete opposite of that. And for me, it's really disappointing in that, you know, in those games, no matter where the two clubs are, you should always be expecting a physical approach. You should always be expecting 90 miles an hour. So what Man United did to Liverpool from the first whistle shouldn't have been a surprise to Liverpool. And yet Liverpool played like it was. And, and for me, you know, it, it took until half an hour, really, for Liverpool to show anything like themselves. You know, there's a, a, a move around that time which could have led to something for Liverpool, but didn't. But I just thought, you know, it was hard to see what the plan was from a Liverpool perspective. I thought the lineup was baffling also. Um, I know that Fabinho hasn't been in his best form recently. Um, but, you know, if he's not quite fit or if he's a bit tired or things like that, I think I would have been flipping it and starting Fabinho and looking to take him off later in the game rather than do it the other way around. Because if you allow a team a foothold in, in a game, you know, you, you're up against it. And Liverpool keep doing this. You know, we're all talking about it, aren't we? It's all over the media this morning. It's in all the papers. Seven Premier League games, I think it is now, where the opposition have taken the lead. You've seen... Uh, Andy Robertson bemoaning that one last night. And you, you, you can't keep giving teams a start that way. Liverpool need to come out the traps much better than they are recently. Uh, in terms of the selection issue, uh, who would come out of the team if Fabinho was in? Is it, um, It's obviously one of the midfielders. But which mm-hmm. of the three, actually, would you have not started with? I mean, <clears throat> for, for me, it would probably be Milner. Um, because I think, you know, I was behind the idea that Milner signed a new contract. But for me, he's a break glass option at this stage of his career. He's not someone I expect to see starting. I don't think Henderson's in great form. And obviously, um, you know, you're also relying on a youngster in Harvey Elliott. So I know why you're asking the question. But but for me, he would be the one that you're looking to bring on later in the game. So if, if you know, sports scientists are looking at it and saying Fabinho's got 60 in his legs, give him 60 from the start then break the Milner glass. Don't do it the other way round. Um, and, you know, Milner did okay. Um, but, you know, I, I think in general, you look across the team last night and there's not there's not many good performers there whatsoever. You could probably say Alisson's played all right in that he's made a couple of saves. I don't think Elliot has disgraced himself in any way. Uh, quite the opposite. 
Carvalho looked great when he came on. He was bright. He kept his shot down and that led to Liverpool's goal. There were some flashes from Diaz, but not quite enough for me. But overall, you know, across across the team, I mean, you're asking me who would drop out of them. You drop anyone and put anyone in. You know, no one, no one looked like they really deserved a place last night. And I include, you know, normally star performers like Van Dijk, like Trent Alexander-Arnold. And that, that's the concern and bit for me because they're meant to be leaders in the side. They're meant to be people that set the example. And look, you know, it's been analysed and I'm sure it will continue to be analysed about Milner getting in Van Dyke's face and having a real go at him. And Van Dyke looking a little bit sheepish, by the way. And, and, you know, pros always say, well, it's good to see a chosen care and things like that. But you don't often see that from Liverpool. That tells me that something's going wrong there, that something's not quite right. And I don't actually know what Van Dyke's doing on that goal. I don't know what that pose is. And I don't know why he's not moving towards the ball. Is he relying on Alisson to make the save? If he is, he's actually in Alisson's way. Um, and I, I think Milner had every every right to have a go at him. And it, it, it is a little bit alarming to see key performers dip so alarmingly. Especially, right Gareth, now. in big games especially, Gareth, like to see someone like Van Dijk, who's been such a leader on that Liverpool team, um, and as you, you discussed, the intensity. Jimmy Carragher said it after the match as well, that he, that he sometimes feels, and he should know as a fellow centre-half, that, that Virgil van Dijk maybe lacks the intensity sometimes in, in big games. I think he referenced the, the Champions League final last year against uh, against Madrid as well, or earlier this year. Like, is that something that, that concerns you maybe, that, that van Dijk maybe intensity-wise has been offered a little bit in some big games? I don't think... I, I think saying it's a concern at this stage is is a bit too much. I'm concerned about, about last night, um, and I expect to see a reaction. Am I concerned about Van Dijk longer term, bigger pitch? Not really, because he's been absolutely brilliant for Liverpool, and I would still say, you know, he's one of the best defenders out there. Um, every player's allowed a bit of a blip. Every player's allowed a bit of a dip in form. And look, I understand why it would come from Carragher because he's a man that went out at Old Trafford like he was going to war. Um, I think he wrote about that in his book about how he hated the idea of all this little cuddles and handshakes in the tunnel. Like he he, he saw his opponents as someone he was going out to to beat, you know, to, to go to war with almost, if you like. Whereas Van Dyke, that's not his attitude. He is calm. Um, we sing about him being calm, literally. That's his song, Calm As You Like. Um, but he, he looked too calm almost, didn't he? I get, I get the question because, you know, it, it, it's lackadaisical almost a little bit from Liverpool last night in that you wonder about the collective attitude a little bit. Like, did, did they take it for granted that United were going to be poor because of what had happened against Brentford, etc., and the start of the season and the new manager and the inviting and the leaks and all the, you know, the whole drama around Manchester United? Did that affect Liverpool's mentality? I don't know. It, but it, what, what I do know is that it didn't look right, and it, it didn't look right for large portions of the game. Like I don't, I don't know why Liverpool have to wait for something to happen to find it in themselves to spare themselves on. And it was a little bit like that against Crystal Palace. You know, the sending off. You saw a different Liverpool after the sending off, and it's a bit like, well, why did it take until then for something to click mentally? So there's something not quite right behind the scenes. There's obviously the injury situation, which is well documented. And that's definitely not helping because we haven't got a settled side right now. It's not the first choice side. There isn't the option to make a lot of changes either. You saw that last night with some of the names that were on the bench. So none of those things are helping. 
But, I mean, last week when I was on, you could ask all the same questions, really. You know, is there a hangover from last season, perhaps? Are they a bit tired? Maybe. Did 63 games take it out of them a little bit? Well, it it, it looks like it might have done. Uh, the short and pre-season, has that affected Liverpool? Every chance it has. So, you know, the two points out of nine is the bottom line, and that does not look great when you think about the standards that both City and Liverpool have hit over the last few seasons. Uh, like... I don't want to read too much into three games and you know the two points out of nine is definitely something that would be worrying although it helps that there were points dropped by City at the weekend but like two years ago Liverpool had essentially a down year where we were able to pin the issues on the centre-back problems and also Covid was on so we you know Mm -hmm. didn't quite feel like they had any advantage of the Anfield crowd and all that, that stuff too. Is there just a possibility that Liverpool need to recalibrate what their expectations are for this season and that, um, you know, I'm not saying they're not going to win the league, right? But uh, they need to find form and the players aren't in form en masse at the moment. And so therefore you're kind of thinking, well, we need to just focus on the Champions League this year like, and hope that something magical happens for us there. Yeah, I mean, look, Liverpool's odds have, have widened after getting beat last night in the start of the season and you're Expect them to, wouldn't you? So I think you can get about 13 to 2 now on Liverpool to win the league, which is, you know, longer than we've seen in recent times for Liverpool, but but equally still short enough that the bookies are like, mm, well, there's still a chance. And that's sort of where I am on it. I don't think, I think it's a bit early to say about recalibration. What Liverpool need to do is concentrate on going on a bit of a run now. Uh, Bournemouth at home, you would say, is, is quite kind for Liverpool and should be a game that Liverpool win. Uh, but but Liverpool are going to have to start that, that game faster with more intensity. And they're going to have to expect now as well that, you know, teams, when they play Liverpool anyway, in all of my life, have always upped their game to play Liverpool because of the name of Liverpool. But I think there's an added psychological boost now for sides watching Liverpool or coming up against Liverpool because they're like, hang on, there's a chink in the armour here. They're not quite what they were. You know, they don't look great. They haven't started the season well. So even Bournemouth... You know, and you're supposed to say no disrespect to Bournemouth, but even Bournemouth um, are likely to fancy the chances a little bit more now. So Liverpool have got to expect that. Um, so if they can get over that hurdle, they'll go on a bit of a run. There's Newcastle on the horizon, there's Everton on the horizon, and both of those games, for, for different reasons, you would imagine, would present some difficulties. But if Liverpool can just grind out some wins, get themselves back up that table, there's still there's still a chance there, obviously. And, and we don't know how it's going to go with Man City. I mean, they've shown... A little bit of vulnerability by by drawing with Newcastle, haven't they? Okay, they get it back to draw three three, but that's not their ideal result. And there's maybe a little thing there similar to what I'm saying about do sides look at that and say, well, what if we have a go at Manchester City? So that makes that dynamic interesting. So I think it, it's far too early to say Liverpool now can't go for the title or Liverpool now have to lower their sights. And and of course the transfer window is still open. And there is still a chance, maybe, that Liverpool do go into, you know, recruiting someone, and it should be in midfield, like everyone is saying. Well, that's um, a, there's a, qu- a comment here: lack of investment in midfield is killing a team based on energy and work rate. That's from G10 in our YouTube comments. Like, uh, are there any obvious candidates that who aren't called Jude Bellingham to <laughs> uh, to join? I don't know. I'm, I'm never any good at those questions. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not one to be uh, watching endless hours of YouTube's and all the rest of it. I'll leave that one to Liverpool scouts. But you'd think you'd think they'd have someone on a list somewhere. And okay, you know, their general approach over the last few years has worked. 
Um, it's sometimes cautious. It's sometimes conservative. And I can imagine a conversation behind the scenes where you know the owners or representatives of the owners, the money men, if you like, are saying to Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, but you've got all these people in midfield. And then we equally Klopp saying, well, he's unreliable. He's injured on the, on the regular. We're not sure about him. His agent's kicking up a fuss in the media and saying he's not happy about his game time. You know, Thiago, we can't rely on across the course of a season. We need to do something or, the, or this, this season could drift away. So maybe, you know, that message hits home a little bit. And maybe that conservatism that definitely does exist at times is changed a little bit. It'd be disappointing in a way to have left it this this long, even if they do move for someone now, because you know then the argument will be, well, why didn't you move in June or May or whatever it may be? But I would still rather they broke the glass and bought someone, to be honest with you, at this stage, than just leave it. Because just leaving it currently is not looking great. Sorry, Jack. I, I just want to say, like, I don't want to put the blame on him either because it was a tough game for him, kind of up front, almost by himself. Uh, obviously, he had the help from Salah. But Roberto Firmino last night, Gareth, um, like, this is a man who has a contract expiring next year. He's obviously trying to impress and play to perform to earn that new contract. Uh, well, what did you make of his performance last night? And I guess his performance is generally so far this season. Like, does he look like a player with his shadow on the exit door, or, or how do you feel uh, his future is at Anfield? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's 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 hard to judge anyone really at this stage because of, of the changes that have happened. I think I think Sadio Mane leaving is is huge and perhaps bigger than people expected. Um, I think both in terms of morale and behind the scenes, he seemed quite a a popular fella with the staff, but also just in terms of what he gives you. You know, he's a re- he was a real fighter. He was someone who could hold on to the ball. He was an outlet. He created goals, obviously. And, you know, you look at last night across the front three, you know, they all, they all only have one shot each. And, you know, for a side as good as Liverpool, a side with aspirations of winning the league, Champions League and everything else, to go to go away to Manchester United, who for me didn't, Pull up trees. They just they played like a team that were an underdog fighting in an FA Cup match for me, and that's no criticism, given what's come before. They put more effort in, their attitude was better, and they deserved to win the game, and they created the better chances. But Liverpool should have shown more than one shot from each forward. I think the problem with Firmino last night is that he started dropping far too deep. You know, you look at his, his heat map from the game, and, and and there's a lot of it's around the centre circle. Well, you're no know, used to us there. Um, you, you know, you're, you're supposed to be up and around the box. And the other two, Diaz and, and Salah, to me, look too wide. You know, if you think about the traditional front three, including Firmino, they, they, you know, they had understanding. They were close to each other and they would set each other up and there would be cute one-twos and little passes inside and things like that. And it just, just seems systematically right now, Liverpool are not clicking. And I think Mane leaving is part of that. I think Nunes coming in is part of that. Him being sent off has not helped um, and it'll still now take longer for him to bed in because he won't have had those first team games that he would have done had he not been stupid and got sent off. So there are a lot of questions. I think with Firmino, by the way, you know, you, you, you're right to an extent that I think we'll all be looking at it as the season goes on. The likelihood for me is that he does let his contract run down and probably leaves on a free and, and we'll all pat him on the back and say, well done, because he's been fantastic for yeah. Liverpool. But um, but last night, no, he was no real threat, was he? There was, um, there was he's on the, no Origi to be a threat. There was no Origi to come off the bench last night either. Like the, the you know, the squad management. I know, you know, no one thinks Origi's going to win you the league, but actually, 
there there was a depth there of somebody who had been in big occasions, who had scored big goals and big games, and now you're looking at the bench and it's like young players who don't have that experience. Um, Alan O'Flynn has been in touch to say, when Alden, Fabinho and Henderson were able to rattle City, but the current midfield just isn't up to it. There's a, there's, I, I, again, it's, it's weird because Henderson's form isn't good. Fabinho's form isn't good. Trent's form isn't good. Like you're looking at the players, Virgil van Dijk's form is not good. It's it's mad that the form isn't good of so many players at the same time, which would suggest that they've got something wrong in the sports science or the fitness or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's tough one. I mean, you know, you wonder what what can he change. I mean, you know, who's going to come back from injury? Kai said he was very cagey on, and, and and we didn't really get a lot of information other than he won't really train today. I think was the answer that we got from Klopp. But you know, you wonder about changes like would it would it be worth Mo Salah going through the middle? I I think it would be. I, I'd like to see him in and around the box and in situations where he's likely to score goals more than he is currently. He suddenly turned into this player that looks like he's going to be creative rather than score. And I, I'd like that switched on its head. I wouldn't mind seeing Elliot on the right in the front three. Um and then and then we patch up midfield with what whoever's available and we try that one out because as you know, as we've just said a second ago, the Firmino thing didn't work last night. Um I think he played against Fulham as well. He didn't look particularly on it then either. And look you're right you know, they, they, they absolutely went for it last season. Um, they, they did all think that there was a chance of the of the historic quadruple. It didn't come off, of course. Um, they fell agonisingly short in the two big ones. And and I think, we again, we're having the same conversation as last week. Does that take it out of you physically and mentally a little bit? I said last week I didn't think it would do because of what we've seen in the past, losing Champions League finals, bouncing back, losing league titles by a point, bouncing back. Maybe it's one. Maybe it's one too many this time, Gareth. Uh, j- just one that I was I was rereading one of your articles um, from from 2016 that you tweeted out yesterday from the Anfield Wrap that hate Heisel, Hillsborough, and Munich, and it, it kind of struck me and as something that even that was a fixture I was at last year at Old Trafford, the United Liverpool game, and and you know you see the police and the horses kind of separating the two fans. And you really do hear the, the the sickening chants going back and forth both ways about about all these tragedies and disasters, um, and you reference some of them in, in in your piece as well. Always the victims; it's never your fault. You killed your own fans, um, and you also talked about the fact that this is learned behaviour. You know, kids mm-hmm. kids don't grow up with with hate in their hearts, but this is something that comes from from family members and older peers and that sort of thing. So look, in, in in your opinion, like where is this bell curve of the the United Liverpool? Rivalry at at the minute. It's at a, it's at a pretty pretty vitriolic uh, point. But where do you think it is in in this grand scheme of history? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem to be in the greatest of places. If I'm being honest with you, I mean, there did seem to be a time where I was hopeful that you know some of the more extreme stuff was being nipped in the bud a little bit. But you know, it started to return um, to hear songs about you know the sun was right your murderers and to hear songs about Hill, referencing Hillsborough, you know, absolutely grim. Um, you know, there's a good piece uh, Andy Mitten had worked on uh, for The Athletic, uh, which was published yesterday, you know, with with someone who's lost someone at Hillsborough, uh, de- detailing their family struggles, talking about what that feels like to still hear chants at, at games all these years on. And, and look, equally anything about Munich is equally distasteful, as I said in the piece that you're referencing. And, you know, for me, it's just it's just the responsibility of of people who have a little bit of a standing in a community to call it out 
And I've called it out regularly. I've called it out on air. I've written pieces about it. I put stuff on my Twitter feed. I'll say it in person to people as well. I've challenged it at the match. You know, can everyone else who's got a little bit of responsibility, a bit of stature, are they? can they say the same? Are they doing the same? I would argue no. Um, and I would say that there are people out there that could do a little bit more. You know, it, when there was stuff from Anfield, uh, the last time uh, Manchester United came to Anfield, you know, I didn't feel that was challenged enough. And I know that there were meetings behind the scenes between the clubs and fan representatives and stuff like that. I'm not too sure what came of it, though. What's different? What's changed? Where, were the, where was the messaging? And look, you know, in the past, over this, I can actually remember Ferguson, Alex Ferguson, challenging it. Alex Ferguson saying something in the press about it. And I was impressed by that. I thought, good on you. And, you know, in the past, we've seen Jürgen Klopp and, and, and Jordan Henderson challenge um, the Chelsea Rent Boys uh, chant that sometimes comes from the Liverpool end and, and highlighting how that makes people feel in the stands and all that kind of stuff. Well, for me, this is of, of the same stature, if not worse, and it needs challenging all round and it needs challenging on a regular basis. And it's it's all too easy, I think, to just say, oh, it's just one of them. It's not one of them. It's it, it's a disaster where people lost their lives, a disaster that led to people, in the case of Hills, were certainly you know, committing suicide and things like that. So it's had a profound effect on a large number of people who support a club. And to use that as a as a weapon, as you know, in a, in a game is incredibly grim for me. And and as you say, you know, I said in that piece, it's learned behaviour. So where does it keep coming from? Who keeps reinforcing it? I think everyone just needs to have a little bit of a think about how they behave, all this macho type stuff around it and, you know, throwaway comments around it. They stick. And, and they, they create this beast. And, you know, it's online all the time if you go looking for it as well. I mean, I tend not to now because, you know, because of my own mental health these days, you know, how many arguments can you have about it? But I'm quite happy to come on here and talk about it at any point and to talk to anyone about it because I think from both sides, it needs looking at, it needs tackling and it needs challenging. Guys, great stuff. Great to have you with us this morning as ever. Thanks a million for joining us. Thank you. That's uh, Gareth Roberts there, and it's just interesting you bring that up. We did a piece on tackling online hate in football uh, last week, and um, it's a, a campaign that's ongoing that's kind of trying to collate and get all the information that's available to diagnose exactly the scale of the problem, but then also to try and deal with it, as opposed to, like, oh, just filter out those bad words and, uh, you know, and live in la-la land like it doesn't exist. Yeah, and, and it's interesting we talked earlier with Owen about being at the match and how you see, you see so much more when you're at the game as opposed to watching on TV. And I noticed that being at that United-Liverpool game last season, last season was the first ever time I'd been at that rivalry. And the amount of people chanting those things kind of sent chills up my spine. Yeah, so it's I was not thinking, a few bad apples. You, you, you don't, you, on TV, it's always down to a few bad apples or a minority of fans, but when you're there, it's so Sizable many minority. Yeah, on both Thousands. sides. Yeah. Which is scary. All right, OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effort to finish your day. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you today. Our OTB Gold is an interview with the stars of the 1956 Wexford team. That's Art Foley and Ned Wheeler. I've got a classic dad cast for you at 3 o'clock. Packy Bonner's career retrospective is 4 an interview that Joe Malloy did with Ruby Walsh at 6. And then the show is live tonight from 7 with Will O'Callaghan in the hot seat. You can follow off the ball across our social channel, subscribe to our YouTube channel, be sure to download the OTB Sports app for the latest in the best sports content and analysis. After the break, we're switching our focus to rugby alongside Neve Briggs following Ireland's tremendous comeback against Japan at the weekend. First, some more fan interaction here from Owen Sheehan before yesterday's game in Manchester. Back after this. Do you think some fans won't show up? I mean, to, to the stadium, I mean. 
definitely, yeah. Um, the plan is not to go in. Uh, we don't we don't want anyone to go in. Show the Glazers that we are here. We are in full strength, and that's what we need to let the Glazers know. Show them that it's not just about the money. Like we could, like they're gonna feel from it because they're not getting the money that we're paying them. Uh, and I just think if we stay out, then they're gonna be like, oh, what's going on here then? So, yeah. Do you think that this is the last question? Do you think Jim Radcliffe is the the guy to take over? I see his his face is on the nineteen fifty eight banner today. Is he? I I think he is. Uh, I think people are saying he's a bit older, so he doesn't really care about the money. At the end of the day, he's I think he's the richest man in Britain. Is he? Um, but he doesn't need the money. He's there. He's a United fan. He knows what we're going through, uh, and he just wants success on the pitch. He doesn't care about the success financially. OTB. Fifteen minutes past nine this morning here on OTBAM. Delighted to say we're going back to Japan to talk to Neve Briggs after a big victory at the weekend. Neve, how are you getting on? What's it like over there? Hi guys. Yeah, it's good. Uh, quarter past five in the evening now. Incredibly warm still. Uh, we trained today in like uh, mid to late thirties. I think it felt like so. Um, yeah, look, it's 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 obviously beautiful. We're in Tokyo now. We met Tamamatsu, so um, it's been a good few days for the squad for sure. What's the aftermath like after a victory like that and just the, the mood and general atmosphere? Because on tour, it's it's such different from everybody going home and, and, you know, you win, everybody goes back and then they come back in the middle of the week. But everybody is living, like, with each other at the moment. What's that like? Yeah, look, it's a huge learning curve, I think, for everybody, especially for the, for the players. I think, you know, you, you've hit the nail on the head. It's so strange for us to be still together after a match. And you definitely feel this week there's a lot of fatigue, I think. Um, the ability to you know, to back up training sessions is a big learning curve for these players but in a position that, you know, it's probably the first time they've ever done this before. So um, from coaching elements, we've just got to be very mindful of that. But the boss is unbelievable. Look, I think, um, you know, the win on Saturday was brilliant. Um, we travelled then to Tokyo on Sunday, um, but we had a rest day. So, um, yeah, look, it's been great. They're, they're just so in. They're such a, a brilliant bunch to be around, to be fair. And, um they're working incredibly hard, um, so I think just think now there's kind of all like already to kind of you know looking forward to, to to Saturday. I think we've we've reviewed that Japan game from last weekend, and we have a lot of work on for sure. Um, but I just think there's a really good buzz around the squad. Like Nave, you had you had that bit of time together as a, as a, as a group in the in the high performance center at the IRFU this summer, and I know you would have had maybe a week's build up as well in Japan before this game. So. It's hardly groundbreaking sports science for me to say preparation is key, but but clearly having that time together in advance of this game paid dividends. Yeah, it's huge. And, you know, it's not just about what we're doing on the pitch. I think it's often it's those mini conversations that the players are having together, the small conversations that you get to have with players walking down the corridor or going into breakfast or to dinner. You know, that's they're opening up more in relation to asking you questions about stuff they probably wouldn't do in front of the whole group or on the pitch when there's not a huge amount of time so it's from that end it's been unbelievable from a coaching point of view but also from the the playing group to be able to spend as much time together and you know it's 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 different because you, you can't be you know bouncing off the walls all the time there's going to be low moments and tough moments for certain players you know are far away from home they're all very young to be fair and so it's showing that vulnerability to each other as well I think is, is going to be really key for us moving forward as a group but um, you're right, look, to be having these three weeks together um, has been an unbelievable experience um, from from every facet, from a high-performance 
you know, type where, you know, they're learning about recovery and they're learning about nutrition and the ability to be able to repeat efforts, but also from a rugby perspective. And then most importantly, I think for us as a group, you know, getting to know each other as people, I think that's probably been the big win. In in the end, it's a blowout victory, but you do go 15-0 down fairly early on in the match. Um, what What's the best part about the fact that you go 15-0 down and then turn that around? Like, what what's the, the bounce from that? You know, is it is it the fact that the team didn't panic, that they stuck to their processes? Uh, like, when you're reviewing that, obviously you're looking for the positives of going, going down. What are the positives from that? Yeah, look, obviously there was a huge amount. I think it was the first game we played since the Six Nations, albeit uh, with a hugely different squad. Um, you know, four new caps. You've got to give them time to probably adjust to the pitch of an international test game. I think I think for the first few minutes, there was definitely a lot of nerves. Um, and it was shown, you know, we, we conceded two very soft tries to Japan. But I kind of felt like on the sideline that once we got our foot on the ball and we got to hold possession for a period of time that we'd make put them under pressure, I think... From a coaching point of view, it was so satisfactory to see that leadership group step up and take control of that game. I think, you know, um, we didn't have to give a huge amount of messages from from the sideline. I think, they, you know, they really understood the task and the process that they needed to do. On the flip of that, I think it's great this week that we have a lot of, you know, work to do. We have a lot of work on, you know, that victory while we scored some unbelievable tries and we had some really good performances, especially from those young group players. I think, you know, coming away out of that, we realised very quickly that, you know, um, Japan are going to be stronger this weekend. Um, but also that if we play like we did um, two periods of that match, we're going to be under severe pressure, not just against, against Japan, but against any other nation in the world. I think our defence at times was, you know, not sloppy I just think that we miscommunicated things so that's a lot of work on for us but also you know we played a lot of rugby in our pitch in our half of the pitch when we didn't really need to do that so um, but they only learn from, from doing and making mistakes and I just think that you know chatting to them there today yesterday and reviewing that game you know I feel like that we're on a better page this week than what we were last week which bodes well for us I think I, I almost feel um, I don't really want to name drop some of the, some of the younger girls because if you name one, you nearly have to name them all. But but Neve, Neve, uh, Maeve Daly in particular uh, looked far older than than her years, uh, and, and look the fact that she's coming from that women's development pathway as well with the IRFU, she's got the pace from the sevens as well. But but she's really made a quick stride up the ranks into this this Irish senior setup and looked very very comfortable. It has to be said in Japan on Saturday. Yeah, 100%. Look, she's an incredibly exciting player. I am, you know, it's been a real pleasure to work with her um, over the last few weeks and get to know her better. Um, I don't think there was any question about her rugby ability, to be fair. Um, you know, she's come through that underage system and we just had to be patient. I think she spent a lot of time with the sevens. Now I think her focus is going to be mainly 15s this year. So I get to see her week in, week out, which is great because that's what you need now. We need her to be playing consistently um, with our club um, and performing and and then we'll reap the benefits from a, a national level but um, yeah look I think it's it's not just you know it's their hunger for knowledge they want to get better all the time they're looking for clarity they, they're constantly you know seeking affirmation I suppose and what they're doing is right and you're just trying to empower them to be able to go and play what's in front of them and like she picked some incredible lines to begin her defensive work was really really good and um, so yeah look it bodes well for her like a really really good first cap for sure um, I'd, I'd imagine she's buzzing inside and um, and I hope those at home are buzzing for her as well you know her family and stuff have been in touch and it's great look it's great for her and it's great for all those new caps you know they've just they've bedded into this squad really well 
Um, and, you know, it, it just, the, the direction of where this program is going and where this squad can go, I think it just makes it really exciting. I think you were, correct me if I'm wrong as well, Neve, 23 maybe when you, when you made your first cap against the Italians back in back in 08. Like, is it a case of, and, and you're kind of now on the other side where you're watching these young uh, women make their make their first senior caps. Is it a case that they're, they're so young that the nerves just aren't there, that they're maybe not overthinking it like some of the older players are? Yeah, maybe. It's funny when you speak to them afterwards, they're like, they've been telling you, oh God, I was really nervous. But on, from an exterior point of view, in the rest of them beforehand, they didn't, they didn't look like they were, you know, Dan O'Brien is just finished. Well, even started 18 years of age. Aoife Dalton's 19. You know, these girls are, they, they just, it's their training age. You know, I, I made my debut at 23, but I probably been only playing rugby for about eight months. These girls are 18, but they've been playing rugby since they were kids. That's a huge difference. You know, they get they get things way quicker. They're able to pick things up really fast. They take direction really well. Um, and so, yeah, look, I think I think it's just their ability to be able to maybe you know um, have confidence in themselves. They know that they've been playing rugby for a very long time, whereas I suppose we were different back then. So, but it's great. It's brilliant that they can go and have a crack and. But also, it's, for me, it's their ability to fix things very quickly on the pitch. You don't really have to say much. You can just say, look, you know, we've got to stay square here or we've got to make sure that we can, you know, work early so that we can get into line or get into position way quicker. And they're like, they're able to tell you as you're saying it. So um, they, they understand the game really, really well, which is great. It's great from a coaching point of view, for sure. Were you guys confident that that performance was coming? Like, did, had you felt it in the build-up to it? Because, you know, 57 points in any international game, but away from home against the side that's qualified for the World Cup and with the group, as you've, you've outlined there, with the range of ages that they have and the, the um, so inexperienced. Like, did you think that it was... I mean, obviously, you always hope it's there, but did you think it was coming? <laughs> um, look, not 57 points is, is a really good total, I think, from any game, let alone international game. So... But I felt during the week that there was a really good buzz. Like there was a really good clarity within the squad. I think the training sessions have gone really well. I think, you know, Greg has implemented a really good schedule in terms of, you know, there's days set aside for learning. There are days set aside for contact, days set aside for fast. And and when you're, you have that clarity as a player, you know, every day what you're turning up to, I think it makes a huge difference. And, and also the information that's coming on off the pitch, you're trying not to overload them, but they're constantly looking for it. So I, I, I kind of felt like, you know, we would do well. I, I, I don't know if, if I, I definitely didn't expect 50-something points and nine tries, but I'm just, I'm delighted for them. I think it's testament to the hard work that they put in over the summer, testament to the staff, I suppose, that have put the hard work in with them post Six Nations. Um, but, you know, not, not to... to to be remiss of what happened last week, I think it's for us, it's about this week. Now we've got to make sure that we can back that up. And that's going to be the real big challenge. You know, they've not been in a position where you're backing up week after week and um, and been in an environment where you're constantly being tested. And I think that, you know, there's definitely a lot of fatigue this week post that game. Uh, did we, you know, do we try and keep pushing through that or do we you know, lay off the brakes in terms of the information to make sure that they're mentally refreshed? that's probably the challenge for us as coaches and for players to be able to recover well. I think that's a big challenge for them in understanding that. Um, so, yeah, look, I think that's what probably makes this environment and this test two tests a really good, exciting project for us to be able to see where we are, I think, at the end of it. I think, you know, doing something once and making history, making a win, you know, in Japan has been brilliant, but 
be able to back that up would be huge for this group. Yeah, I can see why you, you need to get through this and then at the end you can look back and I, it feels a little bit like it's possible to recalibrate the ambitions of the group and, you know, you guys as coaches because everybody put their reputation on the line given everything that's happened to get to this point and you're not involved to, like, just make up the numbers. So... Um, with the announcement of the new contracts that we spoke about last week, there's a really big opportunity to, kind of, this is a, a refresh button and, you know, I'm not saying that you're going to suddenly start competing with England and beating them, but suddenly you can start dreaming about that type of stuff. Yeah, look, <laughs> God, we beat Japan once and we're talking about beating England. Um, <laughs> no, look, I think I think it's really important that the energy within this group and this program is that it's a really positive one now. And we spoke about it last week that it's been a turbulent few years for the women's side winning the RFU. But I think that now it's it's time to firmly put that behind us and continue to look forward. And um, but learn the lessons that that we've had to learn. I think that's really important. We can't just say, "Look, here's a load of money and a load of contracts, and things are going to be better." It can't be like that. We've spoken about that before. So, yeah, look, I, I do feel like that this is a real, you know, a new start and a new era for this group. And, I, you know, we can't keep talking about rebuilding. We've got to talk about building towards something tangible. And, you know, this te- this two test series is tangible towards the Six Nations and the ability to be able to finish in that top three, because that's going to be really important for us in relation to what's coming down the road in World Rugby terms, you know, this Global XV programme top three go into the top tier and that then gives us you know really competitive games against the likes of the Englands and the Francis and that's where we want to be and that's where we've got to strive for does it shorten the gap quickly absolutely not but we've got to be very aware that as we continue to develop we've got to continue to strive to be better in every facet of the game whether it's on or off the pitch so that if we can continue to try and close that gap but while we're trying to close that gap they're trying to increase it so um, we've just got to try and look after ourselves and, and try and measure ourselves against what we're trying to do every week and every month and every year so that we can get better and then hopefully we can catch them, you know, but it's going to be a quite a long process. And yeah. I think we've got to be patient. No, that's all fair enough. It's just that um, it's good to get excited because it gets people, you know, <laughs> it, it, the bandwagon in Ireland is our favourite thing and uh, you guys have it rolling, so let's keep it rolling. I have one last question for you. We've got Senna Nwupo on the show tomorrow. She's obviously announced her uh, official retirement. Just how good a player was she to play with? Oh, look, incredible, incredible. Uh, I had a really good chat with her um, over the Six Nations when she came back into camp. And then, obviously, was speaking to her last week before she announced her retirement. And, yeah, look, she's just... Her, her knowledge of the game, uh, Sunday's knowledge of the game was unbelievable. Her ability to um, to help others, I think that was huge. Um, you know, we can all kind of get selfish in our ways in terms of trying to make teams and make squads. But Sunday was really good to... to you know, to try and um, impart her knowledge and wisdom on other players, um, and it was brilliant. As I said to her, we made memories together that we'll have we'll have together forever in terms of, you know, winning Six Nations in 2015 and um, and what came after that. And um, you know, we'll be able to cherish them forever. But I I don't think we can, you know, her influence both on and off the pitch will be something like that that lasts forever and that's her legacy which is brilliant and um, as I said there you know we're getting old together we can we can um, we can cherish those memories but uh, yeah look she was an incredible player and um, I think I think it's 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 the younger kids now that are coming up that will reap that reward for for how good Sene was on the pitch yeah for sure Neve, good stuff enjoy the rest of the week in Japan best of luck next weekend thanks a million
Thanks a million. Thanks, guys. So, Nick Briggs there giving us some thoughts from inside the Ireland rugby camp who are in Japan. That game is live on TGCAR on Saturday morning as well. And a reminder, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Um, one positive from last night, says Ronan Ward. Villa are still ahead of both teams in the table. Hashtag little victories. Hashtag Gerard out. Yeah, there's pressure on some managers in this league, Ger. There really is. Stevie G is certainly one of them. Uh, Ten Hag's kind of thrown it out, thrown it out the window. There's never going to be pressure on Jurgen Klopp, but yeah, Stevie G is. Uh, he's got he's got his his head in the shackles. I don't know what's going to happen to him, but uh, they could get beaten tonight by Bolton. Well, yeah. You know, like I uh, wouldn't be terribly surprised. Uh, equally, they could win a four 0 and they'll turn the season around. And, of course, you know, something will happen. Uh, Maguire and Shaw are done, says Malps. Bruno's actions are not those of a captain. Varane is more captain material if only he could stay fit, says Philip Nolan. John Claffey says, Ten Hag's F-bomb live on Sky. Ronaldo Blank and Carragher and everyone fanboying Roy Keane were all highlights for me. It was it was quite the night. I there was like a, a gazillion different things. Like Yeah, and, and like people give out online. I know Mick, our own Mick McCarthy was giving out online about this last night. When, no, uh, Mick, does, he, Mick doesn't give out stuff. Not, never, never. But uh, Gary Morning, Neville Mick. fanboying in the, in the commentary booth when, when the Sancho goal goes in. I kind of enjoy it, even as a United fan. When when Carragher cheers when there's a Liverpool goal, I kind of like it. Uh, you know, I know it's it's blatant. Um, I, I think it's better than the pretend commentators yeah. who are like, "Oh, I have no interest in this," as opposed to like actually being honest. Just be yourself. Well, because well, we we know that everybody has a bias. Yeah, we know that everybody has a, a preference, and if you're honest about it and you're revealing it, then that's fine. But if you're <laughs> pretending you don't, yeah, then you're lying to us. There's no point Carragher or Neville sitting in the commentary booth trying to mute themselves when their team scores a goal. That's just not that's just not the way forward. And they balance so, yeah. each other nicely. Yeah, one hundred percent. And everything about yesterday in advance of the game and stuff, and, and the fanboying of Roy Keane was one which because we in this country, as you said earlier, Jerry, we, we we almost have him on a pedestal and we kind of think of him as this world class player. But we think it's our own pedestal. Yeah, but actually, it turns out the rest it, of the world it's totally not. Yeah. Everyone else has him on the same pedestal, and to see Casemiro coming up to him last night, I mean. And he's taken the number 18 jersey as well, Casemiro. The, the, the Paul Scholes number from before. Bruno had it last season. But more importantly, Paul Scholes has won that jersey. So a lot of pressure on his shoulders. Uh, Shane says, why is Jer constantly praising Newcastle? I'm not. I'm just, I think that um, Eddie Howe's done a really good job. I mean, bear in mind, it is obviously uh, clearly a sports-washing enterprise. And we keep talking about that. We will keep talking about that. But uh, I still think they're going to finish above Man United. Any thoughts on my Liverpool have so many injuries at the start of the season? Is it down to Klopp's hard pre-season approach? Asks Paul Quirk. <sighs> $64 million question at this stage we don't know we're going to have to wait and see if they can uh, get those injuries to clear up pretty quickly it was obviously suspension that cost them most last night yeah having like so if you're bringing off if you're bringing on one of those other two or yeah. even bringing him on as a sub things are different but they had nobody on the bench last night the Liverpool bench was, was not pathetic last night but that's a harsh word but I mean you're not looking at it thinking there's there's a lot of Look at the United fans feeling themselves. Oh, pathetic. <laughs> Liverpool, pathetic. So confident. So confident. But the United bench, you're, you're straight away looking at Martial and, and even young lads like Alejandro Garnacho. There's, there's, there's actual decent attacking talent, Ronaldo as well, on that bench. But uh, Liverpool's bench just didn't have the, the, the star-studded names that we were used to. All right. Tomorrow we have Selena Wupo, as we've already said. Uh, we're talking about that with um, Neve Briggs there. We'll have a reaction to Mayo's brand new coaching ticket as well in a bit more detail. And plenty more to come. OTB. AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.